Hello, 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 everybody across the world, across the universe, into an alternate universe, if you will. Yes. Will you? Great. Welcome to <laughs> I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully. My name is Garrett Smith. And, and a bone oh, tomahawk to you, yes. audience. <laughs> and a bone tomahawk to you. Ooh, I'm never going to forget bone it. Tomahawk. <laughs> I'm never going to forget it. Good movie. Yeah. Good movie. Uh, anyway. Hi. Welcome. Uh, we are here to talk about The Mist, as we've been promising for weeks on weeks on weeks mm-hmm. on perhaps months. We've talked about this for a while. Which means you have no excuse to have not watched it by now. Yeah. In black and have. white, because you all own that DVD. Black and white. You mm-hmm. should see it that way. Uh, that was how uh, I, I guess you it could probably just like turn your TV color off. I, that's probably yeah. true. There'd be a way to do that today, right? Yeah. I, uh, all of my TVs have had that capability. I, I guess that's true. Just flick it to black and white. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, before we begin, we want to remind you to come out to Philomoca on Wednesday, February 17th, for Movie Movie Live, the stoner movie edition, uh, which uh, we'll, we have some exciting announcements coming up following that about what the next edition of Movie Movie will be, so stay tuned. But we are working on a very ridiculous and absurd uh, stoner edition of Movie Movie. That's going to be a ton of fun. Wednesday, February 17th at Philomoca. Uh, obviously, we're paired with uh, Weeding Out the Stoned, as usual, and I think we might even have a Phone It In uh, this month after us. Oh, right uh, on. I think. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great night. It's going to be fun. Philomoca, come out. Movie Movie Live! Yes! And so, uh, actually, we have a, a somewhat representative yes, of Phil- Philomoca. They would not but, be a um, fan of you saying that at all. No, <laughs> no. no, no. <laughs> they don't consider you representation? Well, I'm technically I should be because I'm the only person who talks to people outside of Philomoca. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Everybody you just got fired. Yeah. Close-knitted community. <laughs> fair enough. Well, it's a wonderful place, and you guys are kind to us. Yes. But uh, we have Brendan Maddox with us. Yes. No, thank you very much. Bone Tomahawk to you, Dan. <laughs> to you Bone well. Tomahawk Bone to you. Bone Tomahawk to you as well. Consider Chicory. Uh, and we have had, uh, we've had Brendan on Movie Movie Live before. Uh, he was a great guest for us. What, what, which, uh, which one did you do with us? Uh, that was Jason Statham. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, I actually did homework for that <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I have seen The Italian Job, and I will never hey. forgive you for it. Uh, <laughs> I kind of want to see that movie. I've never seen it. It? That, that's the movie that is uh, most famous for having Edward Norton contractually yeah. obliged to it and not wanting to do it at all <laughs> and still putting in like a pretty good performance <laughs> like phoned in Edward Norton is actually that's all right I, you know, doing pretty good cool. I didn't yeah. I didn't know that I yeah. didn't know that he was not uh, he did not want to do it required to do it apparently he was like a total just douche on set too <laughs> like whatever and they're like fine just give us gold action and he just gave him gold and that was that. I've actually heard stories that he, he, it's not that he's difficult to work with, but he is relatively like overly hands on with the movies he's on. Yeah, Apparently, yeah. he is like an unscripted writer on almost every movie he's been on because mm-hmm. he like refute, he like demands that the scripts be better basically than what wow. he agrees to when he signs on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why it's just what I've heard about him. Uh, and I think his name is actually on a few of the movies that he starred in, if you actually look, mm-hmm. because he did enough rewrites that he did was, he write like, required. Any of the Hulk? Uh, actually, The Incredible Hulk is the one that there's like a huge story about how much well, he rewrote he himself. Stopped, he stopped working with Marvel as a result yeah. of being difficult, but I think that's case in point right there that maybe don't touch the scripts because yeah. that's a bad movie. <laughs> he apparently did a ton of work to that script. Apparently that was like a big problem for him and he kept rewriting it. Yeah. I wonder mm-hmm. what he did to The Illusionist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never seen that actually. I've heard that that's good. It was good. Yeah? I liked it. Yeah. I don't, I've not seen it. Yeah. I watched I saw the, the Prestige, Prestige twice yeah. instead. Yep. Yeah, yeah that was out, that year's volcano Dante's time. peak. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
I remember that. In fact, didn't uh, Illusionist beat it to release, I think, if I remember right? It came out right before, and that's why I didn't see the Prestige in theaters. Yeah. I'd already seen the Illusionist the week before, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go watch another <laughs> And I remember being like excited movie. for the Prestige, and then the trailers for the Illusionist came out, and suddenly its release date was like before the Prestige, and I was like, well, fuck this other magic movie. I'm already <laughs> yeah. into the Prestige. I want to see that. I read it as like the deep impact yeah. to the Armageddon yeah. that was the Prestige. Yeah. And uh, that was the one I preferred, at least. And, and one of them has stupid. maintained a truly prestigious reputation. It's not an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, no, I, I've never seen The Illusionist. But Me you, are, you are here for reasons beyond just having watched The Mist. And before we get going into that, uh, into that discussion, tell us about what it is you do. Tell us about your podcast, your project. So I, uh, I produce a podcast called Stories About Music. Oh. Um, it's less of this kind of thing, which I have been lately wondering if maybe I should just do this because this seems way easier and more fun. Get a little more conversational. Yeah. yeah. Um, mine is a... Uh, based off of um that kind of like this american lifestyle uh radio storytelling where you do interviews and you bring them back and then you mm-hmm. pull them together using like a story-based narrative and so it's about music uh journalism and memoir and the line between those three things is not as clear as i'd really hoped it would be by the, this point <laughs> in my life <laughs> so it's um the first season which we're in the middle of right now we're about to are the last three episodes and these are the ones where it gets like much more personal like it's kind of been a build from the beginning of the season where it started off where it was just kind of about like the musicians i was interviewing and then slowly becoming more of like wrapping myself into it that's interesting uh and what so you have the did you say the sixth episode is coming out this week and episodes, you have a couple more episode six were like doing like the final like i recorded the, narr- the narration at like 11 o'clock last <laughs> night <laughs> um, nice. and it sounds like it'll probably be okay so i have to after this i'm going home and i'm putting it together and then it'll hopefully be out tomorrow that's great awesome, awesome. Uh, so people can look forward to that and then two more episodes before the season's out two more episodes and uh, where can we find this you, you can you can find it at uh, investigatingregionalscene.org is the name of our website or you can just find it on itunes stitcher soundcloud and it's called Stories about music. Stories about music. Very, very simple. Very simple. The website's not so simple. No, investigating investigating regional scenes.org. It investigating regional scenes.org. Investigating regional scenes.org. Okay. My girlfriend was really pissed when I told her that was the name of the website. That's so dumb. Like, why would you well, freecreditreport.com works, <laughs> we, and we're not sponsored by them, I should say. Yeah, yeah. I was, In fact, I'm going to go and anti-sponsor <laughs> them. That's probably a bad idea. I've already bleeped it out. Yeah, oh, good, good. <laughs> my, hope is, my hope is that because it's really complex, like people will remember. You can also just go to storiesaboutmusic.org, because I bought that domain as well. Oh, you're a smart oh, person. That's go. great. <laughs> well, that's the way uh, to do so it. Storiesaboutmusic.org. We'll say it that way. That way okay. they remember the... The name as well. Right? I think we've said it about like 10 times. Yeah, perfect. We need to say it seven for people to remember. Uh, Investigating regional, regional scenes. scenes.ed.org. <laughs> you had to do the org. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, uh, not to criticize. No, no. It's, it's like, it's, like a, it's a total like um, public radio thing because I'm imitating yeah. public radio. I figured I should uh, make it as like true yeah. an imitation. A Prairie as Home can. Companion. You could have called it. The show, the show okay. show. Well, I do like the concept of investigating regional scenes. It's a horrible name for something. But yeah. the, the idea well, that then you can do like over and over and over again, you can go to just different regions and investigate. Their, it's a very repeatable idea that could be interesting. And that was the original idea was that um, I kind of did a lot of traveling before I, I 
like sat down and worked on. And one of the the biggest ones was that I went out to Akron and I'd done all of these interviews with people from Akron, but I couldn't really tie it together other than it's Akron, (laughs) you know, and people aren't crazy about Akron. So I thought, what if I just keep doing that? Yeah. And so our plan for the second season is to actually do something that kind of ties in with that name a little bit better Mm -hmm. where half the season is about Philadelphia and then the other half will hopefully be 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 about Los Angeles oh oh no no I'm done with Akron I did like an hour-long thing on it I've got other stuff in the future but it's done for like I don't want to go back there (laughs) it was a nice place I was I thought I was gonna hate it and then while I was there I actually Akron's Ohio Akron's Ohio Mm. It was pretty good. Has the IRS given you any pushback about using their uh, acronym? <laughs> I didn't even think of that. See, I, this you just is get like audited yeah. regularly. <laughs> this is how dumb I am. Is like I'm referring to an album that came out in 2009 by this band called Broadcast, and they, it was a collaboration called Investigating Witch Cults of the Radio Age. Yeah. So I thought investigating regional scenes of the digital age like it's <laughs> fucking perfect and nobody knows what the fuck i'm doing like i think that album got like a six on pitchfork or something <laughs> nobody cares <laughs> no one cares but me so, which is the whole point of the podcast well now our legions of fans will be in on the joke i'm yeah. excited for the movie so. movie bump yeah, you you should see one. Actually, we uh we we our our most recent episode is uh it, like crazy popular. Um, we've really I think it's huge kinda, in China. Yeah, we like huge, really not, yeah. not huge, but like we've got a big bump in China from it. Yeah. I was yeah. really surprised. Do you guys? I don't know where you guys get your like statistics from, but mine it said that I have three listeners in Singapore, which Ooh, was crazy. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what anybody or like four in Belarus. Like mm-hmm. I don't know who in Belarus yep. is listening to. We we have like like you know pockets all over the world of people that listen to us but china we we just got like a big bump and i think we like based on the numbers we got like a lot of new subscribers off the last episode so there is now a movie movie bump awesome there you go yeah. uh so it's, definitely check I out filtered into this tiny little bump it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just a, it's a goose bump if you will it's a little bloop. i uh, i'm just trying to picture like i try to picture like people uh, around the world who would be listening to something like all i can think of for belarus is just like this depressed like alcoholic 40 year old ex soviet <laughs> soldier just like clicking through the internet cuz like his eighth wife left him or <laughs> and he just gets to this and he's like indie music from the united states it's all right why why the fuck not <laughs> rock and roll i could kill myself tonight or i could listen to this <laughs> i wonder what our i mean i'm not going to I'm not going to do any awful accent work here, but I just wonder like what it is that that triggers a Chinese person to be like movie movie. <laughs> All right. You well, know? maybe it's like the uh like the sort of like uh American movies are like more and more popular over there and stuff, so maybe it's yeah. like we are delivering uh, some talk about American movies What, and what movie did know. you guys do last time? Well, it was so it was a super independent movie called I Am a Knife with Legs. Uh that, that was, was supposed a, to sc- That is a great one. Yeah. I saw that when it screened yeah. at Film. Well, we got Bennett we Jones yeah, to call Bennett in. Jones. He gave really. us yeah. gave us some time. Yeah, we got like an hour long interview with him and he was uh great. And we got like a good 10 minutes of Benet. So that was that was easily I think one of the best movies I saw last year. I really it's so enjoyed good. it. It's like it's totally seems like it's just cobbled together from like whatever he yeah. can do, and it works so well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very effective. We, we really enjoyed it, and he was like great to talk to. He was an awesome interview. So <laughs> it was uh, it was it was a fun episode. And yeah, it just it got a lot of attention. Uh, All right, cool. now the the swinging dick contest of of bumps and and <laughs> awesomenesses of podcasts. Yeah, we move. We should talk about Frank Darabont's take on the uh, Stephen I forgot his name on the Stephen King 
horror short story novella, The Mist. Yes. But we watched it Mm -hmm. in black and white. Yes, we did. As originally Mm -hmm. intended by the director. Yeah, I remember reading an an interview with Darabont in probably like 2005, which I think is when this movie came out. Uh, And he had said that he he initially wanted to like shoot it all in black and white and do as many practical effects as he could and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And eventually the studio just was like, we can't give you the budget for that and we're not going to release a black and white movie. Um, was there any reasoning why they they wouldn't release a black and white movie? Uh, I mean, just it's they just rarely do. It. Yeah, it, 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 they it, in in most studios' minds, it's going to make less money if it's in black and white. So if they're going to capitalize on this investment, I think it, it it's so close to being an art house horror yeah. kind of thing, but it's not. It's a monster yeah. movie. So as a marketer, it's like, listen, we can push this as. I mean, it's two thousand seven. We can push That's it, it as. You know, a, a 2007 horror movie. Yeah. Worker Man. Uh, it was 2005. <laughs> but it's of that, that uh-huh. wave of horror. Yep. Or we can, you know, you know, or we can push it as like artsy fartsy. And I think the safer bet is to go yeah. color and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, and- I just like imagining that guy like, look, it's 2007. The housing bubble's never going to burst. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just make it in color. <laughs> Have you seen The Strangers? We want to just make everything that looks like The Strangers. That's what we want to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think he did want to shoot it in black and white. They wouldn't let him. I want to tell you it was shot digitally uh, and with the intention of then that makes it easy to give you a black and white version of the movie afterwards. Uh, and you can fucking tell he wanted to make this movie in black and white when you watch it in black and white. A lot of the lighting choices are it very was... clearly meant to be sort of noiry and shadowy and uh, a lot of just uh, you know washed out uh, light on people's faces and stuff. Uh, but it's clear how much of it was probably shot and considered by the cinematographer as black and white. Yes. It was set up and each shot was composed in a, in a way that it really works for that. I mean, they're all composed well enough that it works in color, but in the black and white, you know, some of the decisions come, become more prominent. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you can tell like the like he's making very specific choices, I think, in some of the sequences. That I, I mean, I hadn't seen the color version probably since 2007 when it came out, uh, but I imagine don't quite play the same. Like you, they're probably not as recognizable as like, oh, this is like a mo- he's like crafted that light to be there and, and that kind of thing. You know, I was actually it was surprising. I felt kind of thrown when the mist wasn't blue like it used to be. Is that what was, it is in the color version? It's blue. It's blue. Like once it like totally engulfs yeah. the store, everything gets this kind of like soft dark blue to it. That Interesting. I, I really liked it. Like, yeah. Always made me feel like kind of like you know gave me the willies. But yeah. 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 Interesting. Now it was just kind of like it was interesting because the mist just essentially cut them off completely. Like it, it magnified the feeling of isolation. Yes. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So wait, do you? But do you think you prefer the 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 sort of creepy tone that the blue brought to the the overwhelming sense of isolation? Like, what do you? I, I think that uh, the when it was blue, it was like I was kind of waiting for them to go out, Nick, because I knew that was going to have to happen. But when it was white, when it with like just the straight black and white. I think I liked it felt more boxed in the whole time. Yeah. Or like yeah. when they first opened the garage door mm-hmm. for the first time, yeah. and like you see the mist not quite seeping under the door. Yeah, I like that. It was almost it was, you know, it was like just like a block of uh white that was just surrounding the yeah, whole place. Yeah. Uh I and I, I actually that sequence in particular I think is fucking great in the garage that when one, the, yeah. the, the tentacle sequence. That might be ultimately my favorite monster sequence in the movie, the the tentacle one. Oh, it's uh, it's horrifying in that it's it's one of those where 
there's there's a sense of dramatic irony in that we just by proxy of being the audience knowing what the mist is pretty much already yeah know exactly what's gonna happen oh yeah and so what's so interesting about that is when when David Tom Jane Tom Jane um, <laughs> when he's you know when he's saying hey don't open that door yeah we're like yeah don't open that yeah. door and so it's doubly frustrating and and. I think I think a lot of the the narrative of the mist comes from being so damn frustrating where you're like just fucking do it you know yeah yeah <laughs> I think that scene captures that yeah it's yeah. well you know, and you also get like the it, it's one of the first times the movie takes on its little dramatic plays because the movie is sort of a, a series of like these little dramatic plays that uh, mm. act out between different factions of people and those factions are always shifting and what they want is always changing. And like that scene is like this great. We t- is like a machismo play. It's just like <laughs> it's these fucking five dudes all challenging each other's masculinity, mm. trying to decide who's actually in charge. But well, and- it also sets up the social class of the town yes. because Jim, uh, William Sadler, and mm-hmm. Myron—they're like kind of the dumb guys who've been working at the the uh, gas station, grocery store, their gas yeah. station grocery yeah. store. They're just they're hillbillies. Yep. Um, I'm 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 stereotyping them. They are then they're cartoonishly that. Yeah, they are. And yeah. so they take umbrage with the fact that this guy who clearly. Uh, He's got you know, some money. He's got some money. He's, he's a big an, shot guy. He's a big artist. Hollywood. He painted the poster yeah. for the thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he painted that in his studio, and he actually painted it twice because the you yeah. know, the tree destroyed it. And I guess, well, hmm. <laughs> I guess, I guess maybe he did make it. And uh, I forgot where I was going, but yeah, no, there's there's a class thing going on. Yes, there is. Where they, you know, and that's that's explored throughout the entire movie. Well, that's the movie. Mm. I mean, it's got that sort of. It is a little cheesy and a little hammy. I think intentionally so. Uh, and that is one of the things that becomes complicated in adapting Stephen King, I think, is he does these little morality plays where he sort of wraps all kinds of ideas into them about like, you know, there's like a quick conversation at one point about like, oh, well, this is what the government spends all of our tax money on. instead. <laughs> you know, he like he hits all of these weird little polit- not even weird, but all these little political ideas in his books. Uh, and sometimes they're, you know, he he's not always exploring them as much as he's just like bringing them up. So then in the movie, you just get characters sort of like spouting them at each other. Mm -hmm. But because the movie is this sort of like fifties monster movie, by the time you get to the end and it's about just like, this is what we do as people. We just, we, we pick these ideas and we go, well, I think this and I think this. And then, you know, it's like we all pick ideas and then pick sides on the ideas and just fucking bicker at each other over it. And, and moreover than that, it also says something about the town too. Yeah. Because this, doesn't seem to be a red state, blue state, no. you know, across the board, because you do have um, Andre Brower's character, mm-hmm. uh, Drayton's neighbor. I forget his name. Oh, what was his name? Uh, he's Norton. a seasonal guy. Norton. Norton. He's a seasonal guy. Yep. He only comes to town so he feels like an outsider. Yep. You know, and people regard him as, oh, he's just one of those rich, you know, so there's mm-hmm. there's these factions that are set up in the town, but it gives us some history of the town, which yeah. also purchases a lot of the behavior yes. that is a little bit heightened. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I kind of think you almost have to play it heightened in order to handle those ideas that way. Well, right? there's monsters, so yeah. it's got to you, you know, hundred percent monsters. But it's... also, like in a world where you are gonna just like have somebody say one sentence about the government spending our tax money on missiles, it has to be a little heightened. Or like, yeah. why are people talking like you know what I mean? It's like, uh, are we having a political discussion or are we just spouting who our characters are? It's mm. got to be a little heightened for that to work. I think you know. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I feel like uh, what they were trying to do with that was just kind of paint like a, a picture of like, oh, look, all these people kind of like are very like engaged and concerned about what's going on in their world. Yeah. Uh, and then show that that means absolutely nothing once it comes to, you know, gigantic bugs hitting the window. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But your, it also, your own personal dramas mean nothing once you're faced with some sort of larger threat. Yeah, I felt like it did paint like a pretty good picture of like pre two thousand eight, two thousand nine America though. Like kind of the things that people were concerned about. Like yeah. the military mm. like yeah. spending increases and uh-huh. stuff like uh-huh. that. Yeah, I agree with that actually. Yeah, because we are we're sort of like getting out of a war at that point, right? Uh yeah, like we're, we're, still, we're we're still kind of like embroiled in right. the war, but we're starting to try we're like we're tired of it. Yeah. We're tired of like kind of military like, when we're starting might. to embrace the idea that like listen we're always going to be at war there's good money in it. <laughs> like, we're always going to be a little bit at yeah. war now now that war's fought the way it is we're always a little bit at war yeah yeah we gotta be some yeah it's a shitty thing to make peace with but sometimes I, you gotta have the mist <laughs> <laughs> i assume you guys were talking about the the part at the beginning where the mist first comes in and it's a slow pan yes yeah. everybody and everyone's just like talking about like a different like social crisis yes exactly coming to mind and like Somebody says something about like, oh, like you're not spending money on the children, but you're spending. Money oh yeah, on there's a the thing about education. The, Somebody yeah. says like, oh, education's the problem, and like mm. you know, you just get all these little snippets of like what America just sort of like latches onto and goes like, and this is my problem that I have decided to take like a torch up with, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which uh, which does buy. Uh, what is the religious woman's name? Uh, um, Mrs. Carmody. Carmody, yeah. Uh, she, you know, that's how you can kind of buy that character a little bit. Mm-hmm. As long as everybody is allowed to have their own sort of, this is my specific drama that I have decided to, uh, you know, sort of uh, take up a pitchfork for. Uh, it yeah. allows for her sort of much more insane version of that. To sort of exist, you know, and, and not feel too out of place, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels a little out of place, but not not too much, I think. Yeah, yeah. She was weird. Marsha Gay Harden just bringing home the bacon. Is yeah, like I mean... Weird it, character after weird character. Oh, she's good, though, in this. She has a real... Uh, she's she's so cartoony, but it's it's... You know, it's the, it's the extreme that a person can get to. Like, she's cartoony, but... I have definitely seen that lady on TV before. Yeah. And I'm not talking about Marsha Gay Harden. I'm talking about yeah, yeah, the woman character. she plays. Now, of course, it's, yeah, how does she, you know, of course she's in the store while this happens. But yeah, yeah. A, at the same time, it's, uh, I love the idea of, of, you know, there's this external force that, that is threatening everybody, but it's really what's going on in the store that flares Much more up. threatening. And it's because of, you know, she, she's, uh, she's unchangeable. Yeah, she's just kind of this is this is the narrative she's chosen, yep. and this is the narrative that she will ride out just for the sake of being right in yeah. her own mind. And so I think for that character, it has to be played huge, mm-hmm. or else there's going to be a point where it's like, why isn't she just changing her mind? Yeah, yeah, uh, she's not going to change her mind. She's fucked up. Well, <laughs> and I, I think also there's that great scene where Tom Jane is talking to his kid, who we should totally talk about. That kid is a phenomenal yeah. actor. He's great in this movie. There's that scene where Tom Jane says to him. Well, maybe she's scared too. Like maybe she, maybe that's why she's acting like this because yeah, yeah, yeah. she's scared too. And you also have that scene where Norton uh, just keeps going, like, "There's nothing out there. Everything is fine." And the one dude, the older dude from The Walking Dead, goes, "Like uh, that's classic case of denial. Like he's just not. He's never going to accept what's happening." Mm-hmm. And it's and I think that's the thing is just when people are scared, they just latch on to what any explanation. It doesn't matter whatever the first explanation they can come up with is. They'll latch on to it so that they don't have to accept what is actually happening, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and she happens to have 
an explanation that she's convinced herself of that allows for what's happening to be a reality. There are monsters, mm-hmm. uh, but she can explain it away it, as something that is rational to her. That at well, least, you know what I mean? To her, she's explaining it. Yeah, Everyone exactly. else can't explain exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'll explain it. Yeah. It's the only way I know how. Exactly. And one of the things that I, that I truly love about that and that the mist sort of, it's something that the mist kind of uh, caused to coalesce is something that I look for in a movie. After the zombie movie, there's never the conversation of zombies can happen now. You know, that's yeah. the thing. I've, I mean, I've probably said this a million times even on this show. If I was Tomb Raider, the second I ran into like a rock monster that was protecting the tomb, I'd be like, well, fuck the tomb. Yeah. <laughs> rock monsters. Yeah. They're real. I, I, let's, you know, I'm getting a picture of this and I'm going to CNN. Maybe not CNN. I don't know who I go to, but I go to I go to the press and um, Nick News. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go straight to Linda, Linda Ellerby and I would say, "Listen, lady, she's still alive. She's still alive, right? Yeah, Hope she's, still alive. she's not. She's not doing Nick News anymore. No, that's it's, really. It's kind of the when I stopped paying attention to the news was when, when that's not <laughs> when true. She I was, left. I did forensics in high school. I had to read the Economist, but oh, uh, Linda Ellerby. She was a true journalist. There you go. She was the best. Anderson Cooper is no Linda Ellerby, that's for sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although they do look similarly. Yeah, very similar. Um, very very s- s- it's the gray hair. Yeah. It's the, couple, they got that salt and pepper look. A couple yeah, of silver foxes. The, uh, oh, silver foxes indeed. What's up, Linda? Ellie. <laughs> Ellie, boo. Uh, no, but that's, that's one thing that this movie is mainly about, is yeah. how these people are reacting to the idea of, oh, this can happen. Yeah. Like, they're, you know... Uh, I mean, we were talking about Watchmen before we fired up the mics. Mm-hmm. One of the things that unifies everybody in both versions of the Watchmen is an understandable thing that is uh, that is potential, and you know, not a mis- a not understandable thing that is potentially dangerous. Yeah, mm-hmm. and okay, you know, chaos really yes, in some yes. way, something and larger. So these than people us. reacting to like, oh, there are monsters now. Yeah, but like in. Um like in Watchmen, that's kind of used to like bring everyone together. That's how you prevent the Cold War right, from, right. from ending and just mm-hmm. like a, like unite a everyone of, with a common enemy. Right. This one reminded me a lot more of. Um, have either of you ever seen the Twilight Zone episode, "The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street"? I don't maybe. know. Maybe it's like a classic one, or maybe I just think it's classic because they made us read the script in sixth grade as part of like a reading <laughs> exercise. And we had to act it out, but um, essentially, it's almost almost the same except there aren't monsters it's the same thing it's just like this slow build of people reacting to different things happening in their neighborhood after the lights go out like on a summer evening Mm -hmm. and it builds into that kind of fervor that happens in the mist where it ends with just like people ready to lynch somebody yeah Um, in the case of the mist like stabbing somebody and throwing the monsters outside Yeah. yeah Interesting, but there are no monsters. The point, the twist at that is there's no monsters. Is that there are monsters, but they're not on Maple Street. They're watching Maple. They're watching from a hill. Like, look what happens when you turn off the lights. People just go fucking crazy. Oh, interesting. That's wild. And what happens is the way that they get it to like work is that they just turn somebody's lights on at like a random moment. Oh, everybody freaks the fuck out. Yeah, because and then they start picking sides and explaining. Steve, why are your lights on, man? How did you get power? What do you know? What do you know about? Are you a monster? I want to see the that. monsters be like, yeah, when you turn off the lights, people go crazy. Well, you want to go get a monster beer? And the guy's like, yeah, let's head up the monster bar. <laughs> it's, and they get in their monster plane and they, they just fly off to monster planet. <laughs> but it, it's it's funny because obviously back then it's a metaphor for communism. Yeah, and yeah. Macar- or rather McCarthyism and the way that communist witch hunts were running. Whereas this one, I feel like it's, um, 
I'm not quite sure what the metaphor was for like 2007 just mm. yet. Like we're making this film because like all sci-fi and monster films have this element of social commentary yeah. of reacting to whatever the writer and or whatever anxiety the writer has or their society has at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm still, I, I feel like, I guess like mid 2000s, you know, the religious right was kind of on the rise or something or like, you know, Republican, like military. Well, we started to really associate the religious right with the political right. And, and we with had the, military. the poster child of the Iraq war mm-hmm. of kind of the way we were still processing 9-11 in a reactive way. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I think that's probably it. I think one of the, uh, one of the, I guess, themes being comment- commented upon is just reactivity. Yeah. You know, this is a. Uh, I don't know what it advocates or condemns, but I right. mean, I'd say it certainly advocates like taking a second to breathe before being reactive. I mean, it's simple, but that's certainly on some level there. I'd say. Yeah, I feel like I saw the I saw the mist probably two thousand seven or two thousand eight. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it when it came out. Yeah, I saw that, and then I guess maybe two years later, that's when the the like libertarian Tea Party like people started to rise, and I remember thinking like. Like making like a an internal connection between <laughs> Mrs. Carmody yeah. and like the Tea Partiers out on the Boston Common mm-hmm. where I went to school, just like having like a they probably had the same hair was, yeah, what yeah. It was. the fantastic <laughs> hair that Marsha Gay Hard so well cared for. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Like, Wait, it feeds into her character. She probably sits at home just conditioning, just like mm, Jesus. <laughs> just right, her, that's Jesus. part of the prayer is her yeah. just rubbing her scalp <laughs> yeah. with conditioner. That helps me come mm-hmm. up with an explanation, actually, though, because we talked about this a little bit bit um while we were watching it which is like this movie is i totally lost my train of thought sorry i already <laughs> lost this one I'll, I'll get it back i'll get it back don't worry fair I'll enough fair enough yeah. well and it's it's also uh that that type of thing the, these are all conversations that have been had many times in terms mm-hmm. of you know faith versus uh logic if you will yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's the right way to say it but you know, the, they're sci-fi concepts that are as old as sci-fi you know they're just battling ideologies like that on whatever core level and communication between those battling ideologies and as simple you know uh to to jump back into like the mccarthyism thing yeah, yeah. invasion of the body snatchers whether that is or isn't you know mccarthyism is up for debate but it is so inspired by what's happening there this movie is supposed to represent you know movies from that era mm-hmm. so in that way by tapping hamily into something that is potentially you know plaguing us or or a social irritant that is that is uh just prominent yeah i mean it, it's it is doing what those those movies did as a function back in the day that's true and that helped me remember what i was going to say i it. think that a lot of what is going on with her character we talked about this a little bit during the movie is she uses the chaos that ensues to then further her own platform and her own mm-hmm. ideals right and like you were talking about where the Tea Party rises just a couple years after this movie, maybe that's what this movie is about, is what's going on in America where the public feels more in uh, in turmoil than they have in a long time. Yeah, uh, and that, that actually ties back into what Dan was saying about the yep. reactivity to things like 9-11. Yep. Yeah. And so there's this building sense of chaos, not just around the world, but even within our own country that we're losing control of. And suddenly these people rise... To like somebody like Trump is literally poised to maybe be a candidate for presidency. No, he's not going to do it. <laughs> but you know what I mean. We are living in a world where that's actually even something we have to consider. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and that only comes after the public sort of gets 
feverish enough in their panic over chaos so that here's the thing. somebody like that can rise to the top and go, wait, let me throw my agenda on top of this chaos, you yeah. know? And it's a problem that's that's certainly as... I mean, it's just as old as politics. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a very just specifically highlighted version of it right now with Trump. I mean, that man is a cartoon. Yes, yes. But the original... The Mist was published in 1980. Ah. And a lot of that stuff is right off of the page. I mean, that is there. And I I just feel like in that sense, it is just that kind of stuff is rooted in this type of story. It is just a broad, you know, I I mean, my takeaway was I I felt about my own reactivity and how I could manage that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, it's just there's a... It's just a sci-fi concept as, you know, as old as a... And you're right. It's actually really about that because we were talking about like one of the moments that thrilled all of us, or definitely me, was like uh, in that machismo battle they have like just after the tentacles. like a- After the tentacles happen, uh, the the um, gym keeps going like, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was going to happen to the boy. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And fucking uh, uh, Jane just decks him. Like mm-hmm. fucking... I've never wanted to see somebody punch so badly in my life. It, <laughs> it was like, feels it great. Was so I, cathartic. But it's like, it's a reaction, right? It's yeah. this super reactive, like, boom, to the face. Because then the next moment is he's on the ground, like, Tom Jane is on the ground, like, huffing and puffing. And Toby Jones leans down, and he's like, you okay? And he's like, I'm good now. Mm-hmm. Like, now I'm good. I got, I got this now. I'm under control again. There he knows he was out of control, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of really cathartic punches in the midst. Yeah, there I gotta, are. I got to hand it to Frank Well, there's Darabont. one, actually, yeah. that happens before the movie. Um, obviously, there was something with his neighbor. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He, he sued him because he obviously hit him over something. That's over right. Yeah, some yeah, sort yeah. of property dispute. Right, because he said, when he says, you all saw him assault me just now, yeah. he implies that that's something that happened before, I think, right? I, I think he actually might even be... Uh, he might even. He might be uh, referring a previous. Because he said, he said, uh, you know, this man assaulted me. Some of you were there. Oh right, right. <laughs> and then right, he points yeah. to the one guy like, you were there. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, were yeah. there. I lost my virginity to your daughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were there. <laughs> a little, little Tommy Boy reference for, for y'all. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think because that happens a lot. There's a lot of like reactive moments in this where people, even when the butcher, it's hilarious. That it's a butcher that does it. Even when the butcher stabs the kid at the end, uh, uh, it's a very reactive to the fever of the moment kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's everything's just building to a fervor, and he, you even see it in his face. He's just kind of like stabbing him. It's almost mm-hmm. like he doesn't know what he's doing necessarily. You know. Have you ever read Under the Dome? I haven't. I, I've not seen the show. Not interested in the show. The book is great. Yeah. And what's so great about it is they kind of expand something like the mist to a uh, just to a bigger a, a bigger picture. It's a yeah. whole town because right. the town's under the dome. Right. So now you have a thousand people mm-hmm. that are just in this bubbling pot, like enclosed environment. Exactly, yeah. and they're just it's it's ready to bubble over for a hundred different reasons, yeah. and then you know things escalate that, of course. But uh, those two are are very similar in that regard. That yeah. it's. Stephen King is very uh, big on the yeah the monsters scary but you know who's real scary the people yes yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Whoa, you know, yeah I think this, this might one be of a the better examples water bottle. of that actually yeah. though I think this and under the dome the the book I can't comment on the show yeah. but I, by all accounts it's, it's it's your typical Stephen King show <laughs> pretty bad but and and the 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 you know the monsters in each are really kind of an afterthought. They're mm-hmm. just the catalyst that pushes the people to boil. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think like this. Uh, now I haven't read the book, but I imagine this is a pretty good, like an interesting adaptation because Darabont takes every chance he gets to make the monster parts like really cinematic and mm-hmm. like 
tense, you know? Uh, because generally, I think you're right. Like, King tends to treat that stuff as, like, sort of the afterthought, the catalyst for things. Mm-hmm. I like that Darabont then takes advantage of those moments and makes those, like, really big moments so that then all the really King stuff, like, the really, like, the the inner workings of the people and the way they are scaring it each other. It pushes them forward. Yeah, yeah. yep. I, I think he really, like, he's... Uh, He's one of the best King adapters. You know what I mean? Mm. Like he just dare, he's done it three times now, right? What the, else has he done? Uh, Shawshank and Green, Green Mile. Mile. Oh wow! Yeah, he, yeah. he's su- he's I'm like su- one of the only guys that has adapted his stuff to like really great success. I'm really surprised that they didn't let him just do whatever he wanted with this one. Though. Well, no, he <laughs> based on uh, those. Well, mostly he did. He did have a caveat that he rewrote the ending, which yes. I'm sure we'll get to at yeah. some point. I see. So um, you think he expended all his capital on that? When one? he said, he said, yeah, that that was like the main thing was like I will do this, but that's my one thing is you cannot touch the script. Yes. And so when they got the you know the script, it was like fine, we can't touch the script, but. Yeah, you know, you work, gotta make work, these work other with concessions. us on, on some yeah. other things. Yeah. I think especially probably with that ending. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you got to make these other concessions to us because we got to be able to sell this really bleak movie. You know, it would be funny now, like after like you know the artist has won an Oscar. Yeah. And it's all black and white and yeah. all silent. Like yeah. you can technically get away with that kind of stuff now mm-hmm. if they yeah. chose to make it now. I'll tell you what though, I still don't think that Oscar win did anything to make Hollywood go like, yeah, we should let make let people make those choices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, um. Oh man, you 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 struck a chord with me on something, and I, I lost it too. I'm losing all my chords. That's right. I'm looking up Stephen King's quote on the ending just oh, for later. That sorry, you just reminded me. Then that's great. So one of the things that I read uh, in that interview with Darabont that I was talking about earlier, and I think this is great, is apparently The Mist is the only Stephen King adaptation he ever really wanted to do. Really? He loves The Mist, and more importantly, he's always wanted to make a '50s monster movie. That was like the thing he always, always wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what he ended up doing was making both Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile as these big Stephen King adaptations that he knew he could sell because they're like very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he could get those made and he could get them to sell and he made them as good as he could. And they became these like really good movies so that he could make his 50s monster Stephen That's, King adaptation. Oh, that is the long and con the, right I there. know. And the thing that I love is even in the quote he recognizes, he says it all out himself, he goes... Which, by the way, is like the backwards way you get into movies. Like most people make their cheap monster movie so that they can make oh, their absolutely. big dramatic Oscar winner. I made a big dramatic Oscar winner so that I could make a cheap monster movie. That's uh... well, the um. I mean, uh, not a parallel specifically to that, but at the very beginning, uh, Tom Jane is painting. You know, there's a reference to the thing. Yeah, and I think that, and even the Dark Tower and he's, the Dark Tower. Yeah, there's painting you know, Roland from painting, the Dark Tower. Yeah, and, and you know, he's connecting. You know, multi-world kind Monster of thing to, to the Dark Tower, yeah. but I think in terms of what the movie is is doing functionally, yeah, there's a lot of similarities to The Mist and The Thing. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing where now this time uh, there actually is a physical sci-fi reason to distrust and be uh, you know aggressive to the people around you, yeah. But it's still sort of the same thing, just a single location yeah. and what we can do to flare up these tensions, absolutely. Like you said, the the boiling pot. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's what the thing is. That's what that's a lot of what you get with science fiction and horror that comes to an enclosed space. I think one of the questions that a lot of science fiction and horror, especially bleak ones, always ask is just, you know, th- this is very on the nose about its criticism of religion. But when you think yeah. about it, it's like, well, you know, all around the world, everyone's going to die. Yep. And we have all defined it in a different way, and we've all come up with a different story to make us feel better about the yep. fact that it is one hundred percent going to happen. Yeah. So if you just immediately make that deadline a little bit closer, people are suddenly willing to be even more, you know, and so it just, 
by exacerbating that, then we see that microcosm to that religious criticism. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it's also like uh, one of the things I love about that movie, Valhalla Rising, is that movie seems to me to be a lot about like in a world where we don't know how to explain fucking anything. Like mm. it's so long ago, we have no science. We don't know how to explain even how grass grows. Of course you come up with explanations like God and beings in the sky that can make things like grass growing happen, right? Because we would go insane as these primitive humans if we didn't have explanations for just this natural phenomenon that's happening around us. Mm -hmm. So now we're these modern humans with all this science and we're confronted with something we don't understand and never seen before, these huge monsters. We jump right to those fucking religious things that we developed years ago, like like hundreds and hundreds, millennia ago, as a defense mechanism against not being able to understand something. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and What's funny is Tom Jane's character does play the science angle because yeah. even though he does have temper issues even though he he is somebody who is his first thing to do is obtain information mm -hmm. um he ties the rope yep. around andre brower to figure out how far out they can go without being attacked yep. generally you know he he wants a piece of that monster he wants you know yes. answers about everything that's that's pretty cool yeah pretty well and it's you know and that is i think they're drawing a clear line there just about his practicality oh, yeah. versus the uh sort of the um you know it's it's not practical to believe in this Space Lord that mm. will maybe save you or that's or why I love you, the biker you know? character Bobo Ron Perlman. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he says to uh, he says to uh, uh, Carmody uh -huh. on his way out because well, he first volunteers like, listen, I I don't agree that we should stay in here. I will wear that rope to yeah. measure my way out, but I can get to the truck. Yeah, and she's like, don't go out there, Jesus. And he's uh, something. I think that's the line. <laughs> and he says, "You know, lady, I believe in God too. I just don't believe he's like a fucked up asshole or like yeah, something." He says like that, something yeah. like that. And it's great because something he's the guy who biker. has faith, but he's also like, "Listen, you know, like I there's some practicality here that I'm obeying as well, which yeah. is really cool." Yeah, a balanced perspective, mm -hmm. you know, uh, between between those two worlds. Because mm -hmm. this movie's about two worlds. I and. The the one thing too is that we only see really one half of of what happens when they eventually do leave yeah. the the grocery store. Those religious people that were all super evil, yep, they might have been vindicated. Yeah, that cloud may have rolled away, and they would have been like, "We're right." Yep, you know, we did that. Our yeah, Lord, right. <laughs> Mrs. Carmody, was sacrificed for us. <laughs> it's crazy. I remember like when I saw this movie. One of the things that was most interesting about it when I saw it for the first time was like for like a year later, I had so much to think about because you start considering like, oh, well, then what did happen to everybody back at the grocery store? You know, like what is the result of this for them, and what does that mean for them, and do they believe Carmody's story more that the mist eventually disappears? You know, mm. uh, it's. I'm wondering. I'm wondering how Jim's going to live the rest of his life. Right. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. yeah, he he, he should he should probably get out of small town, man. I don't yeah. think he, I don't think he needs to be there anymore. No, <laughs> I think he probably kills himself in the store. He's gotta. Yeah, he's he's he just, just dies right just there like, right oh, after screw we, it. we get shatters out of a bud bottle and opens his veins <laughs> and just has a grand old time. Yeah, well, and you got to wonder too, like how long were they on the road, right? Like you yeah. had said, you were like, if he had a full tank of gas, like I feel like he could have made it to Boston. He could have made it if he had a full tank of gas and he was right outside of Maine. It's right. like a two and a half hour drive. He to was Boston. also. Right. Doing just like very slow cruise going, speed the entire time. Slow, that's yeah. true. And but, just working around stuff. So that would so like we're saying so like 
cut it down to like 30 miles an hour like at best that's that's probably too much it's probably like 15 miles an hour so yeah i guess it could take like eight but hours also too, we don't know how much gas he had it's true yeah. he might have been like there could have been even that could have been, be that been that 20 minutes after yeah. Yeah, they left yeah. the store <laughs> yeah that was the whole point i was trying to make though is <laughs> that could have also been days we don't yeah. know how long they're that's on the true. road for well they there. do have a device for time passing two separate times in the movie they do a fade to black yep. and then fade out and one of them, I think, is a couple hour jump, and one of them's a two day jump. Yep. Wait, there and is a two day jump. There's a that? two day jump, and because there's the one where it first fades out, and uh, see, I, I forget what the first one is, but I remember counting two. The second one was it fades back in, and right uh, after he... the woman says to Tom Jane. Uh, I gotta give her a name. Yeah. <laughs> the woman says. Uh, it was, oh, it's uh, it's Amanda Dumfries. Amanda is Dumfries. the name of the character. You are good on those. Yeah, those as I read the plot synopsis before. Oh, I came right. today. <laughs> well, Amanda Dumfries. Um, she. I don't even want to say Dumfries. Just say, Amanda just say Dumfries. Amanda. Mandy. Can I call you Mandy? <laughs> she came. She gave. She didn't take. <laughs> sent her away. Um, no, she says uh, it's been two days. And look how many people she's recruited. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so there was a two day jump there where suddenly oh she she doesn't just have followers, she has a, a congregation. You know, I actually yeah. took that line to mean it's been two days total, but I but I don't I think it could be oh, what yeah, you're yeah. saying too. It could be yeah. what well, you're I mean too. either way it is indicative of a yes. large jump yeah. that fade out. Um yeah. you're right though, it probably is it's been two days that we're here. And yeah. and which because I think that adds more credence to just like how quickly and rapidly this mm. whole situation you know, escalates like that. And mm. that's why I was saying, like, who knows how long they're on the road for? Because when you start having thoughts about, like, well, I wonder what the result is for everybody back in the grocery store, then they're already at the point where they're sacrificing people and ready to sacrifice a child. Mm. If they're gone for even eight hours, who knows how many fucking people are left? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it could have. What's to say that, you know, like, bugs didn't come back? Like, right. Oh, and also, she got shot in the head before they left. Right. So, like, mm. now their leader is dead and they're back to just base chaos with no leader, too, you know? But if the, uh, what's funny is if, if, right, if every it is a short amount of time yeah. and she gets, she's literally laying there in a Christ pose yeah, of course. with the halo of blood around yep. her head pulling, if just a few, you know, maybe an hour or two after that the fog lifts and everyone's like, oh, well, just, I get. I guess she was completely right. Yeah, I wonder that's if a they horrifying. Would, that's, that's what you think. I wonder like, if they would try. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think anything happened. It didn't happen. Right, right, right. This is all yeah. the story. Yeah. But well, so it's interesting. That's a crazy thing to think about. It's interesting because every named character has left the building at that point. Like, mm-hmm. like once they go, anybody who had any sort of image of possibly being a leader from yeah. the get go is all outside. They've either been eaten or they're in the car driving south. Yeah, and then there's Jim. And there's Jim. There's Jim. That's true. Jim right. is still there. But Jim is also Jim is, Jim is, victim there. Jim is in no no mood to take right. over at this point. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think the butcher probably takes over. But the yeah. butcher is probably just like, well, I don't know what we should do. Yeah. Like, should we eat we each got... other? <laughs> <laughs> I can I can make a steak. Yeah. yeah. I can make a Carmody steak. <laughs> <laughs> That's I was gonna say, do you think the townspeople just try and preserve her body in the Christ position and just that like would, yeah. put <laughs> her on a cross up in the middle of town and just like worship her? Actually, that would be great. You put her on a cross, you go out into the mist, and the yeah. creatures attack the cross, yeah. and then you can make a run for your car. Yeah. yeah. That's actually that's very Stephen King, the idea that she would be then worshipped as yep. a god in oh, yeah. like mm. some small main town. Uh-huh. You know, Stephen King writes about Maine like it's this weird, fucked up place, and he's lived there long enough to know because that's actually absolutely, <laughs> absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. Is it really? Yeah, it's I've a very been. bizarre place. I um, I used to date somebody from. I've dated two people from Maine, but I used to date somebody from Maine for a very long period of time, and I would go up to visit her at her. Uh, her family lived in um, uh, Old Town, Maine, mm. which is like next near Bangor, which is right. How near close is yeah. it to Derry? 
Uh, Derry is, I think, supposed to be somewhere between Bangor so Derry's and not real? Portland. Derry is not real. Not real. <laughs> no, it's based on like water. Still be, it's, it's based fake. on like Watertown or something. I don't know. Waterville. There's so many like Townville places. Yeah. But it's it is a place that feels it like the state itself feels kind of like that supermarket in the mist. It's just it feels like you're in an outpost and mm-hmm. you're kind of stuck there with people who you know or you kind of know. And the longer you're there, the more you realize everybody is crazy and that they probably think you're insane, too. Mm. Because there's just no... Everyone's colliding off of each other. Mm-hmm. It's hmm. a very small world. and um, That's definitely the the sort of one of the central cruxes of almost all of his stories is how absolutely. small these worlds are. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I hesitate to, like, draw any... Uh, draw any conclusions off because i haven't really read a lot of stephen king in my life sure um, but the man has a weird house he lives in <laughs> he lives in bangor he's got this big old mansion with bats on the front of it he, he, he plays to the stereotype of course uh-huh. he does yeah of course he, does. he actually has a vacation home in sarasota really? and my grandparents they used now to i know why i read a, a whole bunch of short stories of his that are set in florida <laughs> yep a lot of one of his books um girl who loved tom gordon you know at the end he writes where he finished it yeah oh, one of them was that was in uh, Sarasota. It was like, oh, cool. He, there was this place. Oh, I forget what the name of it was. It was like a breakfast nook that we used to go to when sure. we would visit my grandparents. And my grandmother was just like, we saw that guy. He writes all those nasty monster books. <laughs> we saw him. Because she was like super devout. Yeah. yeah. She she was in her 80s when she died in the early 2000s. So oh, she's oh, like, yeah. she's, she was not having anything that wasn't Christ-like. Yeah. And I, I loved Stephen King forever. Yeah. And it was just funny that that was uh, when she saw him. Was like, oh, that that <laughs> guy writing about sex and monsters. <laughs> oh, oh, Nana, That's go funny. home and watch Walker Texas Ranger. <laughs> I actually have a distinct memory. We were watching Walker Texas Ranger. My grandmother loved that too. And yeah. he would he like hit some guy, and she was like, "Get him, Walker!" <laughs> like she was well, just, just really. It's just it. like us, and uh, you know. Punch and Jim, or yeah, when, yeah. when <laughs> Miss Carmody gets hit in the face with a can of peas. Yeah, you know? yeah, that was. That, that was actually was awesome. an old woman. That was yeah, like somebody's yeah. grandmother yeah. threw a can of peas. Yeah, she's like, what movie were you in, woman. Grandma? Well, if you watch this, there's me. That's the peas. Yeah. That was yeah. me. That she was, was me. nominated for Oscars. I threw peas at her head. Wait, Marsha <laughs> Gay Harden has been nominated for Oscars? I think so. I feel like she has to. I don't to know have. anything. I, literally, the only things I, I know Marsha Gay Harden has been in is The Mist and She's Too Young. <laughs> and those are literally the only two movies. And that's like such a spectrum of Marsha Gay Harden. Like, you... Could only you could imagine that she's a terrible. I don't know what that other thing is that uh, it's a uh, it's a lifetime original. <laughs> oh, perfect! <laughs> Which is the the, the is, right way to is start she it off. the uh, the too young one of the no uh, no she the is the she, she is the mother eponymous too she is the mother an Oscar to, winner <laughs> she is. Does anyone want to take a guess? She got Best Supporting Actress in two thousand one. <sighs> what came out in two thousand? Alongside Ed Harris in a History yes. of Violence. Not a history Wait, of violence. Ed Harris in a history of violence. He is. He is. All right. He is. What was she? Want to make sure I got that. Oh, right. What? Well, no, it wouldn't be frailty. <laughs> it wouldn't be what? Frailty? Is he in that? No, no, no. <laughs> Pollock, the Jackson Pollock biopic, oh. which is quite good. Yeah. Wow. So uh, this is interesting. I, I wanted to look this up quick when the stand was published because the thing that I. Th- think is kind of interesting about the mist is it's almost like an extremely small version of the stand mm. the, the stand the, is this under the dome is a bigger version of the mist yeah because yeah. the, the stand has the mm. same it's it's the same basic premise is the military 
somehow release accidentally releases something that changes the face of the planet, right? Uh, and that's the basic premise of the mist as well. Uh, and whereas the stand then takes that to just operatic huge places. Is that also a Stephen King? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Ed uh, Harris. Say again? And Ed Harris. And Ed Harris. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this takes it, you know, keeps it very contained and small within this mm-hmm. grocery store. Uh, whereas The Stand is a much more widespread sort of more operatic story. 100% of the time that I am in a grocery store, I think about The Mist. Yeah. It really? has affected me in the really? way that... Well, because I look like I'll, like someone will just do something weird at the grocery store. i like, that person's fucking crazy. And if The Mist mm-hmm. happened, they would be a problem. <laughs> and it, yeah. it always pops in my head. I made the joke when we were watching maybe, the movie. But maybe that's was, the thing. Uh, maybe you would be the problem. I, You'd I be the, you're the well one be who's the ready to start killing people who are crazy. I'm going right. straight, straight to, to the, the freezer monsters. compartment. And I would just... <laughs> oh, I would throw people out just... Like, I'd be like, you scuffed my shoe <laughs> into the mist. <laughs> if it was if it was Whole Foods on a Sunday and the mist <laughs> happened, that would be it wouldn't even be a horror movie. It would be an almost instantaneous massacre. Because <laughs> the people just fucking killing each other over organic sausages. <laughs> it's like oh, it would be like they'd be arguing over who was like in line first. Like, um, I was in line. It's like there's mist monsters like ah, I like killing the, each other with You know, we should we should call up some like we should call up Sweden because this is like a perfect like Sweden movie where it's just like the breakdown of like rich people like wealthy people in like Whole Foods, just like killing. Oh yeah, 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 it's like a total like uh, like Swedish thing. Like, is it really? get Lars von Trier? Well, like you know, because it's such like a nice. Well, I'm thinking of like most recently, I was watching uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the original okay. series, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is much more about how Sweden is this nice, kind society, and that underneath of it, people are just sociopaths. Mm, interesting. Uh, I was just thinking that uh, it would be. I was just thinking about like all of the other stories that could be happening in the world, like. Mm-hmm. If this mist is very widespread, let's say, like all the other thing, all the other stories that might be told, like how this story might be repeating itself in other places, mm. like maybe like a rich high rise where people are just they've turned into pirates and they're sending people <laughs> off the plank out the window <laughs> uh, into uh, the land mist of the below. Dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's I don't know. That's it's interesting. That I want to see the like, movie about the daycare. Yeah, yeah. The, no, you know, it'll be it'll be a Wayans Brothers movie. <laughs> and what it'll be is the Wayans Brothers are actually like they're they escaped from jail, <laughs> and now they're undercover as. Um, as dog sitters <laughs> at a at a doggy babysitting place, and then the mist happens. So they like have to, you know, not let on that they're actually, you know, escaped convicts, and you know, for misunderstood reasons, of course. And uh, you know, then there's dogs, and I think I think one of the Wayans should actually also be anthropomorphized into a dog at some point, little man style. But I don't know. We'll see. What about what about uh what about the characters from Norbit? Where do you think they were during the mist? Oh, God. They, they were just like in rocking chairs on their porch. <laughs> Uh, a version, like a version of like a story from the mist, but every character is played by Eddie Murphy. I mean, I don't know if that's it'd be actually, good, but I would watch it twice. You know, it's funny. <laughs> if you think about it, that's something he hasn't done yet. Is yeah, like a is movie. is a horror tinged version of him playing every character. That's true. That's true. That's really true. He's done sci-fi. He's done family. He's done, you know, he's... Uh, he's done, you know. What about this? What about multiplicities happening somewhere? And Michael <laughs> Keaton's making increasingly dumb clones of himself. And uh, like he lives in a nice house or whatever. And then the mist happens. Yeah, and he's trapped and he's in just the like, mist oh, with all these versions of himself. This guy's peeing on himself. <laughs> Michael Keaton 10 is peeing on himself over here. And there's a... and Oh, and oh, turn off the lights because yeah, they're attracted yeah, yeah. to the lights. Turn on the lights? Yeah. No, number 11. Turn off the lights. Why do you think everything I say is opposite? 
Oh, these clones are so deluded in their intellect. It would be yeah. <laughs> increasingly so with each new version. <laughs> Why? Uh, you want to talk about the ending? Uh, right? Oh, I wait. Feel like first, first yeah. before we get to the ending, let's yeah. talk about the, uh, the, the kid. Because you, yes. you were oh, God. You going he on was, about oh, Nathan what a great Gamble. actor. He is. Just fantastic. What makes a good child actor for you guys? Uh, to, to, truly, I just think it's like. Uh, I don't want to feel like they're acting, which feels weird because sometimes I, that's what I want out of like adult actors is like, mm-hmm. oh, look at this amazing performance. At a kid's, I feel like mostly what I want is like a legitimate, like, oh, that feels like a, the, way, the way a child would actually react to the situation. And there's, there's a difference between, I think if you're, I've seen child child actors where you can tell the director was like, okay, now uh, be sad. Yeah. And so they be sad the way a kid be sad. Mm-hmm. And then you get like, like, uh, Dakota Fanning was a great child yes. actor yes. because she actually seemed to really be experiencing it. Yes. And for a kid to be able to get that separation of, oh, this is pretend and created as real. Right. I and mean, I, I wouldn't, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know think I could have ever been concept. in a movie before I was 11 years old yeah. because I just would not have been emotionally capable of, of creating these things. Mm. And I think that this kid was really good at that. There was never a point where I was like, oh, you're just a cute kid or, oh, you're just a, a charismatic kid. He actually appeared to be related to these characters. Really. I agree. Like there were two moments I thought. Like the one is right away in the beginning of the movie when he discovers the boathouse is crushed, and he comes to his parents. And he's like, "You gotta come see. You gotta come see." Mm. And it ends on him going, uh, "It got crushed. It's crazy." Whoa! Yeah, yeah. You just I gotta see it. My cousin has kids, and I swear to God, both the boys do that. They yeah. will. They'll when they're trying to entice me to come see something. They go, "Dude, oh, it's it's crazy. You gotta come see it. It's whoa." They, yeah. they actually, it's like literally that's what they say. They go, whoa. They yeah. think it will excite me as an adult that it's it's that it made them say, whoa. So Instead like I got to just be like, it. oh, fuck, now I got to fill out some insurance it, it, forms. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, so like I like that, that I bought that. That is like such a real moment for like a little boy to have. And uh, also when he's just in tears at one point in the grocery store, those are real tears. That kid is mm. like really crying. Mm. And that is impressive because I think about that all the time where it's like, it's like you're saying, if I was that age, I don't know how I would understand how to, A, make myself cry like that, uh, and B, that it's pretend but also needs to be real. Yeah, I wouldn't know how to separate my imagination from my real world. It seems very confusing for a child to pull that off. Mm-hmm. So when a child pulls that off, it's very impressive to me. I felt you know? like he was actually Tom Jane's son. Yeah. Um, and then more credit importantly, to Jane too. credit yeah. to Jane, I felt like he was his dad because I liked his character because he was the... You know, he was just all right. Let's just fix him. when yeah. when the insurance thing happened. Fix some problems. He didn't. Ah, oh, fuck. It He's was Mark just, Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. all right. Well, you know what? I'll go talk to the neighbor. Yeah. All right. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give him a ride downtown. Yeah. I'm just gonna yeah. be nice. I'm gonna do this and. You know, boom, boom, boom. And even with the kid, when the kid is breaking down, he's got this look in his face where he's terrified. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do, but he knows that this kid is a million times more care- yep. terrified and a million times less capable. Yep. And so when he's just carrying him around, just like, oh, you know, don't cry, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, I, he, and he's struggling to, you know, you can see the struggle with how he's trying yeah. to, mm-hmm. to explain things to him and, and calm him down. Uh, I will say the one thing that that started to become funny to me in the movie is I just kept thinking about that line in There Will Be Blood where he's like, I've abandoned my boy! Yeah. <laughs> because he just continued. Every time the kid is like upset, he spends six seconds with him and then he's like, okay, you good? 
All right, now I'm going to almost go die. I'm going to say that to your face. I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to abandon you with these ladies. <laughs> he's a real. He's, he's got to make them understand. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like he. J- it's like he only ever spends a few moments with them, and then is constantly running to like go do something <laughs> else. And he's good at it though. He too. is good. Yeah. He's good at. He can yeah. get those few moments yeah. there. But yeah, he he immediately goes like, "But I've got a scene to shoot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, exactly. I got to go." He's uh, just continually him with like random women around the grocery but store. But the one lady resembled his son, so that was like a an interesting match. Yeah. yeah. And then she killed herself yeah, with yeah, pills. Yeah. And then that idiot who Boba Fetted himself. <laughs> that, that's what I call it because I want to destroy the reputation of Boba Fett as a badass. Yeah. He sucked at his job and he tripped and fell to his death <laughs> like a jerk. <laughs> and this guy did that. He was like, yep. yeah, light my, light my gasoline-soaked mop on fire. Then they do. And then he kicks a bucket of gas and lays yeah, it. Yeah, then there's a Laurel Pretty and Hardy much. scene where he just like, slips whoop, in whoop, the whoop, gas. Whoop. And, yep. <laughs> Although when he's completely burnt and he's begging to be killed, that fucks me up more than anything else Yo, in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That is... There are so I, when many... When he says, I didn't know it could hurt so yeah. bad. Wow. Do you, guys, do you guys put yourself in those people's positions when you see them on screen? I, I, 100% I, yeah, of the time. I kind of do. <laughs> you kind of do. I, you definitely do. I always do. I, I have yeah. a little bit of a separation, but certain things really get to me. I feel like you can you can actually hear me. Like I, I When things really get to me, I go like, ah. Oh. Like the and normally though it's not the physical things like that mm. like that it, well, that, that means one that in particular, hurting so bad yeah. that you are begging to yeah. die and not in a way that's Kilmer Kilmer yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like that could have gone there very easily and totally it was, it was good that in particular got to me but in general it's always more of like um, the psychology of a character often like really will trigger me like when 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 certain things are like you know when the butcher is like stabbing that kid like that makes me go like oh fuck because I'm like I'm buying into the psychology that drives that guy to do that and it's like killing me inside to watch people be that easily manipulated mm-hmm. and put into those situations and stuff and also be hurt to, it would hurt to get stabbed in the tums <laughs> yeah 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 which, yeah which person would you be in that situation would you be the butcher or the kid in your in your brain like when you're watching that happen and who do you watching that happen? I think I, I think I went with the kid. I was with the kid. But See, I go, I I, I, the I'm probably butcher. a fucked up person because I go to the butcher. I go like, oh, that's so fucked. In that scene, that's, I think it, I most true. went to it's Tom true, Jane, who they were holding back as yeah. he's trying to get through. Yeah, and then when someone brandishes the knife at him, he has to just watch. Yeah, that really upset me. Yeah, yeah. And, and because he was the one that brought the soldier into the back and mm-hmm. opened it up and kind of accidentally clued the the congregation into. This guy is mm-hmm. the problem, and he's got to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I often go to, like, the other characters in those situations. Like, when the kid is getting pulled by the tentacle, uh, and the tentacle finally, like, grabs his chest and tears a piece of his chest off. Yeah. I groaned because I was thinking about Tom Jane, and I was thinking about being the guy that is, like, mm. desperately trying to control this situation and knew this was going to be a problem and now just has the blood of a kid on his yeah. hands. Mm. Uh, he says at the one point where yeah, he's like, yeah. I've got blood on me. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, man, he's he's really good in this movie. Tom Jane's good in everything yeah. he's in. Yeah, 100%. What, else is, what else is he in? Uh, Boogie, Boogie, like Nights. I said, <laughs> Boogie Nights. Who is he, he in had Boogie that Nights? show. He has he a small is, scene uh, in that. Well, he's he shows up in and out, but he's the guy that gets them into their first big coke deal at Alfred Molina's house. Oh god, he's damn. that guy. <laughs> And he's got the sweet mustache, and that's that's my favorite scene in any movie ever. When they're at the, when they're at the house, when they're at the house. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was so. I remember there's watching nothing that the first that. time and just being like, "Oh my god, something's going <laughs> yeah, yeah. so wrong." Oh, there's a there's a shot where Mark Wahlberg, Dirk Diggler, is uh, he's sitting there, and it's a it's a solid like 15 seconds, and he's just watching what's going on, and he go and the camera just stays on him, doesn't move, and it goes from. Man, I'm coked up and this is crazy. To 
oh, this is real and we got to go. And he barely moves his face and it's the perfect marriage of just performance and direction. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like it in in cinema history as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) And Tom Jane is sitting right next to him. So uh, I think we should always judge an actor by how well he can drop to his knees, look up at the sky and scream, no! (laughs) And Tom Jane does a hell of a job here. I'm I'm telling you, that ending could be so cheesy and I don't think it is. I think think it's really like well pulled off and put together. I was Mm. so upset when I saw that the first time. I was like very angry that that's how... I actually like was like that was a terrible movie just based on that ending Interesting. when i was younger uh i did, still think uh, well yeah really how do you feel about it I'm curious. because he he does he's immediately punished for the first time that he gives up hope yes right I and mean, he's he's the one character that's just let's just move forward yep. we have Next to keep step. going he's even the one who talks the burned guy like listen i just need you to hold on a little bit yep. longer and then he has to come up with a plan to go to spider spider cave <laughs> yeah and uh, you know but he gives up hope and is immediately just crushed for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, I think what it is, I think that was, I think that out of any other moment in the movie is where like, I see myself inside of the character at that mm-hmm. point. Because it's just like, he's like, he spent the whole thing, not only not giving up hope, but just like being the leader. Like, mm-hmm. you know, his job is to just like lead people like, through one thing after another and he gets to a point where he's like I can't take them any further I just have to like I have to end it for them here and his son and I, literally asked him don't let yeah, the monsters, don't let the get, monsters me. get me I mean, which right. is very similar to his dad of just yeah. being like here's some bad news if you take it from uh, the Stephen King perspective that humans are the monsters yeah I guess the monsters got the kid anyway. (laughs) 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 What I've done. That'd be great if that was the closing (laughs) music. (laughs) Yeah, if it it just like cut in with some like super jaunty, like a 70s number or something. Do you think though that that could be part of, you were saying like all of uh, most science fiction movies are some sort of response to an anxiety the the filmmaker is having at the time. Do you think that the ending of... You know, at when he does finally lose hope, he's punished for it. That that is like the anxiety that Darabont is dealing with. That like, yes, we are living in a world of chaos. Don't give up hope. Mm. It's it. Mm. You and need, also don't obsess you, with control. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know because if he hadn't obsessed with con- with like at least having some small control over his own destiny the mm-hmm. whole time, he never would have like ended up out there. Right. But because he also obsessed with it, he got to this point where he was actually running away from people saving. I think that's maybe why I don't like the ending is that it feels so cheap and so. Just like we got to get out of here, we can't deal with these problems. Let's you mentioned, just leave them behind. You mentioned like in the book. Um, you know, it ends with them still driving, like, you know, maybe, maybe like there's something in Boston mm-hmm. or, or like, I think they get like a station at a Hartford or something is what I read. Like they, they pick up a radio signal or something. Maybe that's, I'd say I don't, maybe that's or, what, what I really remembered, uh, it was years ago that I read this years and it was ago. years before I even saw the movie the first time. From what I remember, they drive off and they just see that giant creature and collectively realize like, this is way bigger than just our town. You know, like the yeah. world has changed now. Yeah. And I th- I'm pretty that he didn't shoot everybody in the car. And yeah, then, yeah, I know that. That's and then the fog immediately <laughs> yeah. lift. And the only thing I could have done without was the was and I still like it is the lady who nobody saw out right. at the beginning, just being right there, right then. Like, here's me with my kids. What yeah. it is? Yeah. You know, like I, I guess I guess what it is is that it feels it's like it's similar to the same reason why people uh, don't like Albert Camus is that like it gets to a point where it's just like, well. 
it's just how it is it's just absurd and yeah, it's like yeah. just like absurdly unfair mm-hmm. that like you you essentially were the voice of reason yeah you you escaped from like this crazy group of people only to find out the monster is really yourself <laughs> well stephen king who uh knows his way around an ending or two <laughs> let me tell you yeah, yeah i know um, i know he was a big fan of this he was like i should have ended the, the book that way or something right? yeah he says uh he loved the new ending his official statement is Frank wrote a new ending that I loved. It is the most shocking ending ever, and there should be a law passed stating that anybody who reveals the last five minutes of this film should be hung from their neck until dead. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. That's not good so for us. Jesus. <laughs> but, I mean, he did make Maximum Overdrive, yeah. so he does know how to make a great movie. <laughs> now, um, he, uh, I remember. I know Maximum Overdrive. I've seen that It's one. a crazy... It's. I love it. I do think he has a point, though, that and and maybe it is still what I like about the ending, almost regardless of what point it might have or be making. It's truly shocking mm-hmm. in in a way that like um, it's a complete fucking shameless gut punch. Yeah, and, and I very few movies have had that effect on me. Mm-hmm. Very few movies have really I think to defend the ending, and I think the reason why it does and should exist. Watching the black and white version really brings it out, and it's that if this is as Posited, supposed to be an homage to 1950s sci-fi, mm-hmm. which always have a Twilight Zone-ish, very heavy-handed, mor- uh, you know, moral. Yeah, you know, I, I had the time. Yeah. I had the time to yeah. read all these books, but my glasses are broken. <laughs> yep. And then we just roll credits because fuck you, Bemis. Yeah, his name was Bemis. <laughs> um, and he's like, it's over, Rock. No, <laughs> he, uh, it, and it's exactly that, just yeah. taken to a modern horror dramatic extreme. Yep. It was just because we're we're very big, especially in that era of the the horror movie that ends with everybody dying and haha, gotcha. You know, yep. killer's eyes burst open. We roll credits. Oh, the guy you thought was the killer isn't the killer. And yep. roll, you know, we we didn't end the horror movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, in the fifties, there was they they did a. Uh, you know, it was always just a very big like. Here's the message: the hitch in the face with it with a hammer, and you know, mm-hmm. oscilloscope. What, what do you knowledge. think? What do you think Rod Sterling's narration would be for the end of the mist when he like he walks out, <laughs> he steps out from behind a guy shooting a flamethrower? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like life is. A, and so know. tells the story of Tom Drayton, a man <laughs> who fought until the very end until he found out that the scariest <laughs> creature within the mist was himself. <laughs> <laughs> And in the course of that sentence, sentence he smokes fourteen cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One he's hand, got, the other hand, just, yeah. a third hand comes up because he's, he's a a mist beast. Yeah. <laughs> a beast. Uh, anything? Anybody got anything else they want to lay out about the uh, about the mist? Anything we missed? Um, yes. I anything think we, missed we missed about the mist? To get rid of, to step out of the storytelling aspects of it for a short while. Um, just the filmmaking aspects. We haven't oh, yeah. touched on any of that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, watching the black and white version, one of the most prominent things is because it takes that 50s monster movie tone, the rubbery, weirdly painted CGI effects not only just immediately look better oh, in yeah. a black and white filter, but uh, tonally fit the material better. They do. Because the movie has less of a trying to be real world feel mm-hmm. and more trying to be a movie feel. Mm-hmm those effects work much better and a lot of times it's it's kind of scary in the in the way that things like the thing you know mm-hmm. are scary on that on that uh 
body level. Yeah, I generally think the creature designs are pretty good in this, too. Mm. Uh, a little bit goofy with some of the creature faces, I think. Um, but there might be some intention I really there. Liked, I really like the spider's faces. Yeah, I do, too. It's very clearly based off like a Dia de los Muertos sort of Mexican, mm, yeah. Mexican mm-hmm. vibe, which... Mm. Um, I guess in full color, like when you see that stuff in full color, it's like, oh, it's kind of funny looking, but like in black and white, all of a sudden, like the, just the stark contrast from yeah. one to the next is just chilling. And when you find out what they are, which it makes them look very they're, alien. Yeah. They're, they're from a parallel universe yeah. and it's just, when you look at our bugs up close, they look crazy, you mm-hmm. know, and like that's yeah. <laughs> that, but with a, a weirdly, you know, just extra physical mm-hmm. bend to it. Mm-hmm. It's true though that the monsters actually did look at certain points like far more realistic in the the black and white. Although mm-hmm. I didn't think about this until you just said it, but the points where it looks like I felt like when the the tentacles coming under the yeah. door, it looked kind of ridiculous. Some of it does, fake. yeah. But because it's meant to call back to a time when the effects did look very fake, oh, yeah. no matter what you tried to yep. do. Uh, I realize that's how, actually that makes more sense. Yeah, now. I think it it's plays true. within the context of the movie very well. Whereas With the black in, and white, it, it fits yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because whereas in color, it's like, uh, well, we're still in the early days of CGI, but we got to put fifteen movies mm-hmm. out this year, so let's get let's get this yeah. fucking rolling. Mm-hmm. I, I said that about uh, I, I I rewatched like all the Star Wars movies going into Episode Seven, mm-hmm. uh, and it was interesting watching the prequel trilogy, especially Episode One. Because it is starting to take on the same quality that the '77 Star Wars has, mm. which is it looks a little old and rickety. Yeah. Like it, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't like the problem we all had with it when we watched it initially was like it's so sleek and new and I, I it was doesn't nine look when like... it came out. I had no problems with the <laughs> yeah, Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah. I, that was the greatest thing yeah. I ever. That was, but that's you know that is one of the classic criticisms of it. Yeah. Is like uh, oh it's too fresh and new and clean and blah blah blah. And it's like you you watch it now and it's like no it's it now it's taken on the rickety look of the '70s ones because. Mm. Those are now rickety special effects, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting the way movies age, you know? Jar Jar will eventually be considered, and, you know, people will be putting reference to Jar Jar Binks <laughs> in films like 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Or what was the guy? The guy who, like, ran the city underwater? He was like, oh, clean ba- like Boss Nass. Boss Nass. Boss yeah. Nass. Oh, man. That guy, that guy was crazy. <laughs> That's, uh, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I am always a defender of the Star Wars prequels under the guise of just, I will take you know, bad Star Wars over none. Uh-huh. You know, I'll always just, if you're going to give me Star Wars, I'm going to eat it. I'm just going <laughs> to drink it in. It's fine. I would prefer if you put some some more time and care into it. But like, as long as we got zaps and boops at, coming from the people I love. Yeah. You know, and I would like to watch Phantom Menace at least in a post. Uh, we live in a post Liam Neeson world now where, where yeah. he is. You know, his wife died and he became the best goddamn cop because he had nothing <laughs> left to lose. And uh, I would love to go watch that movie now in a post-taken uh, yeah. climate. Like, uh, I mean, it's probably just still whatever. <laughs> I you know, can't imagine I, that informs it too much. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I liked about the filmmaking in The Mist is just the way he captures the chaos in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. There's like many moments of just pure, unadulterated chaos mm. uh where just no one's in control of anything and everybody's running around with their own little plot but the line geography sense story. is so strong yes it's it's so well captured it mm. is like and it looks like real chaos like mm. it does not look like a movie set where we've specifically designed that light to fall at this time and mm. you know it's like there's just 
chaos. Shit is flying everywhere, and it looks like no one's prepared for it. It was it was really impressive, actually. I don't. I feel like a lot of times chaos looks very controlled in movies, and mm-hmm. it looked mm-hmm. like real chaos in this. Yeah, it, I mean, it's usually. I mean, it is. It's orchestrated exactly, by yeah. nature. Yeah. Yeah, I never. I think those are the moments where I wouldn't have thought about it if you hadn't uh, mentioned it while mm-hmm. we were watching it. But they had to get like thirty people, like thirty extras, like to their cues on time. Oh yeah, and they were not like just like just fucking run. It's like chaos. They're like, you, you're gonna be there. Like you're gonna end up over by mm-hmm. the wood pile. You're gonna end up mm-hmm. behind the cash register. Mm-hmm. The, like that like scene that. where the earthquake happens in the beginning, where all the right. lights are coming oh, down yeah. and you see ceiling panels coming down and shells are falling over and people are running different directions. That's all highly choreographed, right? There's oh, no way you can drop that... lights from the ceiling on extras. No, it's no, got to no. be choreographed. This but isn't, it looks this like the fifties, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't this is yeah. an Albert Hitchcock production. Exactly. Oh, these are radium lights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead, lick it. Yeah, <laughs> it just it looks like real chaos, Absolutely. which is so impressive considering what you're saying, which yeah. is just. It's not. Well, and, and functionally for the movie, that works because I feel safe in a grocery store. Yes. Yep. And then suddenly you're like, oh, this is all stabby, heavy yeah, stuff. Yeah, everything about this is dangerous. But they also, uh, we'll call it red shirt management. Yes. The red shirt management in this movie is absolutely <laughs> on point yep. because there are a lot of people yep. in this supermarket. But I never reached that point where it was like, you're only following five people and the rest no. of these people are just shocked extras. Right. There, there's like three tiers of people. There's the main core characters. Yep. There's these ancillary, unnamed, but like, noticeable mustache guy yeah. <laughs> and things like that that just have you know, they're, they're empty but they're noticeable and then they smooth that tra- that visual transition into the huddled masses yes. of uh, red shirts of just expendable people yep. but never once did I feel that there was ever a discrepancy in how many people were in the supermarket nope. um, that that is a very easy problem to run into mm-hmm. uh, never did I did I feel like uh you know, there was just a bunch of people where I was like, well, who the fuck's that guy? Right, right. <laughs> and never did I feel like any of our characters specifically weren't in danger just because they weren't of this third cast of, mm-hmm. of extras. And uh, I, I think that's, uh, that is very, very, uh, just a huge credit to Darabont. Yeah. Well, you know, he- to do that and then to also dynamically capture the story of our characters within that is impressive. He does a great job of that because he just takes out characters you think are very significant periodically throughout the movie, too, yeah. which may just set you at unease. Mm-hmm. You know? I am going to dock him like a point, though, for... Uh, extra choice because there were way too many attractive people in that supermarket for it to be a main. <laughs> like there isn't mm. like you know the two like super overweight woman women who are like they just got like a cart piled high full of uh, like frozen nugget dinners <laughs> or like the family of eight from like baby up to like seventy year old grandma all of them wearing like camouflage <laughs> like that stuff that is the that is where my my suspension that sounds of scary. disbelief <laughs> yeah yeah not suspended. I would be like, I'm going in the mist, guys. Yep. This was this is this is all based on a real trip to a Walmart in Wyndham, Maine. <laughs> oh, there's a there's a tweak on the mist. Do it at any Walmart <laughs> yep. or in Wyndham, Maine. Better yeah. yet, make it kind of like a gotcha hidden camera show where you just make a whole bunch of random people in Walmart have to live through that. Yeah, That'd be kind of yeah. cool. Although actually, it's interesting because Walmarts are kind of constructed like castles. Like there's very few. There's no glass like this. Like this right, store. Right. Like they're like these. Yeah, tiny little they the could be cement used. and uh they actually technically have like pretty thick board like even the front is not that it's just not glass it's like a concrete wall a little sort of entryway and another big concrete wall yeah. you know and you can stock a military unit with the gun section at a <laughs> yeah. walmart so yeah. especially in maine yeah that was that was the other 
unbelievable thing I thought is that there's a grocery there's only store one in Maine gun. not selling. Yeah, there's yeah. only one gun that yeah. people actually have. There's a guy with a, a shotgun in his yeah. truck. That that guy A left the shotgun in his truck, and B that there is not somebody selling guns somewhere in that supermarket. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, yeah, it mm. was very well done. Yeah, in terms of the crowd management and stuff. Yeah, I just I think it, he's like a pretty impressive filmmaker, and he did like a lot of that like just handheld stuff in this that mm-hmm. uh, really worked for this. Sometimes that stuff annoys me, but I thought it, w- it was really well done in this. Just the the little sort of like minor zooms on characters and stuff mm. to sort of heighten. But they the, did a lot of really quick zooms. Yeah. But then there was a couple of monologue moments where they would go back and forth and like cutting between two people talking, but it was a presidential zoom on both. Yes. And so as they get quieter and we all like hunker in to listen yep. to the, and, the, and monsters. You know? Yep. Yeah, he, he made some really good choices that just sort of bring you into the reality of their situation, if that makes sense. You know, mm. I think some of that hovering camera helps set you as one of the spectators of this within the grocery store, which is pretty effective, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I fucking, I don't know. And I, I don't know that I'll ever watch it in color again. I thought it was I so effective uh, in black and white. I'm going to watch it in color again if I ever watch it again. Oh, yeah. you think so? Yeah. Think you I've prefer it that way or just... I think, well, first of all... Well, I don't know if I prefer it that way. I guess I don't. It, the thing about the mist is that it, it was fun, but I feel like I don't like it enough to have a preference about like which way I'd want to. Fair watch enough. It. Sure, sure. And depending yeah. on whether or not I could track down a copy of the black and white. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I guess to be fair, this might not be a movie I would like rewatch a lot, but it would never be a movie that I would be like, no, you know, yeah. like I would always want like to watch it. I mean, if if somebody were to suggest like, do yeah. you want to watch the mist? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah hell yeah, I'll watch the mist again. Yeah, totally. But am I going? Am I going to like? I don't think it's going to be one of the ones where I uh, like having a party ten years from now and think like, you know, we should watch the mist. mist. Just watch ten years from now. I'm going to be having a party and people are going to be like, we should watch a movie. And I'll be like, well, I got the mist. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how I got it, but it's here now. Just prove me wrong. Twenty years from now, you're in like a mist costume. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm dressed as the mist. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) you know what it is. Cotton balls and tentacles. As as great as it is, and I think it's great. I was about to say like it's probably not going to make my like October rotation of just like the oh, horror yeah, monster yeah. movies I go back to all the it's, time. It's, but it's, it's more like a summer movie. It, you know? Well, it also it, I think it's lacking a little bit of, and I don't mean it's lacking in a bad way, but it just is lacking this a little bit of the fun that some horror and monster movies tend it's, to have. It's, it's definitely heavy, not yeah. a. Uh, it's it, it doesn't have any of the gleeful horror. No, that, that yeah, the most rewatchable horrors have. Right. I mean, honestly, to me, the what makes me rewatch this movie is the filmmaking of I it. I agree. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of the movie, but mm-hmm. I, I'm also just a huge fan of the story. Yeah, me too. But I haven't seen this in years. You know, it'll be years before I put it back on yeah. again. But I, I, it's just. I think that'll. Im- I think about it all the time, though. It, it's one too. of those types of movies. It, it does pop up. Like I thought it was interesting when you mentioned it because I feel like maybe six months ago I was on like a at a spot where I was like, I should like go reread the missed Wikipedia page. I don't want to watch it, but I just want to remember what happened. <laughs> and so I reread it. And my brother always does this. Uh, he, he loves to kind of like take ending spots from movies and then just like try and make them funnier by just like going like, what's the next moment? After? Yeah. yeah, what's yeah the yeah. next mm-hmm. moment. So he especially loves the mist because it ends, you know, with uh, Tom, Tom Jane, Tom Jane, Tom Jane, like on the, on the ground, like crying, like, no and then behind him are these two guys in like full like uh fubu suits just like <laughs> uh like 
looking at him like, what the fuck's up with this guy? And they're like, hey, man, how's it going? We're here to save you. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Look in the car. And one of them's like, when the car is like, oh, shit, we better get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that kind, you know, that kind of that yeah. humor. But yeah. Well, one of them takes off his mask and it's a black guy. And he's like, I got to I gotta go. <laughs> there's, a car, there's a car full of dead white people. I'm standing here with a gun. I have to go. It's like right into the mist. Trust me, it's safer in the mist. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, it's it's got to happen. That's actually the commentary yeah. of this movie. That's. <laughs> he that, just that, pulls off the mask and goes, oh, hell no. <laughs> and then runs into the mist. Chris, like, oh, Chris no. Tucker making like a five-second like, <laughs> <Yeah>. cameo. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Right? There well, should I be mean, more Morgan Chris Freeman Tucker cameos. Done, oh, yeah. yeah. Like in, um, like when I when I first sat down to watch Jackie Brown, I didn't know Chris Tucker was mm. in it. Mm-hmm. And just like how he's in there for literally like, only, like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And like it just ends with him getting shot in the trunk of a mm-hmm. car. And that's his entire appearance. Because he thought mm-hmm. he was going to get Roscoe's chicken and waffles. Yeah. Remember that? That was like the sweetest <laughs> was, deal. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been in that trunk. As soon as yeah. Sam Jackson's like, we'll get some Roscoe's chicken and waffles. I'd have been like, all right, give me that gun. I'll get in the trunk. <laughs> Uh, I don't trust you, but I like me some free food. Um, I think that's all I got on the mist. I don't know if I got anything else. Anybody want to throw anything else out there? Well, I think one thing that I would I would like to state is how the novella is the best way to the best king work to be mm. adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Darabont the- did it twice with Shawshank mm-hmm. and with, uh, well, I mean, Green Mile was, was like a series of novellas. Yeah, yeah. It was done. Uh, oh, what's the word? Episodically serialized, uh, serialized is yeah. the word. And I, and the mist, he did it with novellas and I like it because Stephen King's books hinge so much on the characters mm-hmm. that, and there's, you know, events that connect them. But when you're working with a 1500 page book, you have to balance what events do we keep? Character what characters do we keep? Yeah. Oh, we're going to put it on ABC. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, what, what, what has to just go <laughs> yeah. simply by proxy of that? <laughs> yeah. Content you know, wise. We have four yeah. hours to work with. And so you get these messy, bland things, yeah. or you get something where they take a story like children of the corn. Mm. That's mm-hmm. so short. And then they go, Oh, let's expand it to a full movie. And then you end up having a kind of goofy movie, you know? yeah. And uh, so this, this, this one adapts very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just uh, actually, I thought Children of the Corn was kind of scary. I, I mean, I do love it. It's, Trust me, it, I do love the, it. I, I encountered it. I encountered it like on TV, which right there that should be a strike against it being yeah. scary because every like five and a half minutes, it's like, and now here's a Gillette commercial. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but I watched it and I was like. Oh, like I was waiting for like the the movie to come back because I was just like oh it's just everything's so creepy about like the kids and like the the grown up like outfits mm-hmm. and like, oh, the yeah. way they talk and that whole thing I don't know what it is like I'm I have a, fan a, I have too. a thing about rural areas they do scare me Jersey Village of the Damned the uh, John Carpenter movie I didn't uh, it's not great but I think it's like and that's kind an of update a, of a fifties movie I know yeah I think it's kind of a better version of what Children of the Corn is oh, doing oh wait a minute wait a minute Village of the Damned is the it's one got, about uh, the kids it's got Christopher with, Reeve yeah, yeah Christopher Reeve yeah. blonde mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they make like you do I things by looking f- at you I saw the fifties version yeah, like yeah, yeah the yeah. one that's shot in black and white yeah John Carpenter made a remake that one was pretty creepy in like the late eighties early nineties and it's it's all right but I think for Reeve walks in it, so it's that yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's that era. It's that uh, but uh, I think it's kind of a better version of Children of the Corn. I, I liked okay. it a little bit better than that, but it's a similar thing. It's just yeah, like yeah. young kids that are just like they—they're not childlike, and it's horrifying. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like newsies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mm. I never thought about that, but like movies where the little kids are like this—the thing are 
or like the the, the monster. I yeah, think that's why I don't. I've never seen Rosemary's Baby. Ooh, that, well, oh, the, or or the Omen. I guess Rosemary's, Rosemary's Baby is a slow burn. That's yeah. not about the kid being born. It's about the pregnancy. Yeah, that's the Omen is a little more what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I tried to watch. I tried to watch the the remake of the Omen. Oh, mm-hmm. like, I have Schreiber. Yeah. yeah. I like the original that, Omen. That a lot. man, Shakespearean actor, but also oh yeah, Omen remake and like four weeks as like the lead character in CSI Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to work, <laughs> you know. He's the man. Yeah. He's he's all over the Love place. Love that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think uh, and the I just I'm curious as to where these where this ranks in the the world of Stephen King adaptations. I mean, this one ranks very highly for me. Me too. Alongside things like The Green Mile and Shawshank, mm-hmm. but then also going against my theory about length, I love 1408. Oh, I like 14 And that's like an eight or nine page story where yeah. he just he experiences the horrors in the hotel room and it's as empty as that. Yeah. And they actually managed to really turn it into a pretty jacked up yeah, scary I like that movie. movie. It's, I thought it's, it was pretty uh, cool. You know, I think that's that's up there. I think it was, is crap. I was a little frustrated by 1408 because I felt like there wasn't it kind of lost steam as it went along. It does. It, it, it really did. The third act transition is very weird. I think if they'd combined 1408 and Hot Tub Time Machine, they're both like kind of okay <laughs> movies. Put them together, I think like it could either be so bad it's good, or it could actually... It probably would never be good, but it would just be so bad. It's good. <laughs> I'd certainly watch it twice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll be. I mean, I'd have to see it and then, and then see it again to see if you I. You know, you've got John Cusack way. in both, and then you could take out the Samuel L. Jackson character, replace him with the Patrice O'Neill character. From <laughs> Hot Tub Time Machine. Craig uh, Robinson. Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Patrice O'Neill. He was. He was. He was dead, was, by, uh, then, he was right? dead yeah. by then. Although uh, I gotta say. If I could, if I could somehow, if I could turn back time, if, if I, I could, could find a way, I would put Patrice O'Neill into a movie like that just to see what happens. He'd yep. be great. He just wouldn't get out of the tub. Yeah. <laughs> he would just be chilling in the tub. Like I don't know why you guys are going out there skiing. This is fucking crazy. We're in a hot tub. Yeah, I think wild. we're pretty good right here. Yeah, uh, it's a uh, Stephen King is is tough to adapt. Yeah. He's always tough on the. I mean, well, his, his endings are are earned, but sometimes unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. And uh, his best adaptations are often ones that do stray away from the yeah, original. You know, The Shining is one of my bit. favorites. Um, I the like Dead Zone waters it down nicely. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, uh, I quite like uh, uh, um, one of my favorite movies is Stand by Me. Mm-hmm. Which is is like a that's a short story expanded. Yeah, oh. exactly. Uh, I've only ever seen the uh, the Simpsons version of Stand by Me. Oh <laughs> yes, Stand by Me is fantastic. I is love it? that movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, uh, I think it's great. There's a uh, band I used to listen to that like wrote an entire album based off of like the feelings they got from reading Stand by Me. Yeah, really? maybe watching the movie. Uh, that's the probably watching the movie because I think yeah. the the book is called The Body. Is that the right? The body is yeah, the story. The yes. story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the movie's just. Uh, I mean, it's great. It really uh, it. Captured a lot about my own youth, I felt like, and so I watched mm. it a lot as a kid. Oh. And then the older I got, the more it meant to me because it was like, man, this really is like a great sort of depiction of my own childhood in some way. Wow. Yeah. Wasn't where? When was that set? The eighties. I mean, that's set in the fifties. Fifties. Uh, but it's like about kids that just like don't have a lot to do in their little town, and so they just walk the train tracks. Mm. And that's literally how I spent my childhood: is walking the train tracks in my small little town. Oh, what little town did you come from? Uh, guns and yeah, yeah. Uh, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Nazareth, Pennsylvania. In, I've never uh, been up there. It's in the Lehigh Valley, yeah. and it's it felt very similar to the. the yeah, I mean, it's certainly that movie is is you know it's set in the fifties, so it's a little more rural and, and things like that. Uh, my town's a little more suburban, a little more modern, but uh, same thing. There was just nothing to do, and we literally would just walk the train tracks all the time. Fish off the uh, fish off the tracks into the river that ran along them. 
Ah. Uh, yeah. So there was like a specific scene in the movie that reminded you of. Uh, that's literally the whole movie. That's what the movie's about. Is oh, these kids walking the tracks, uh, trying to find a dead body. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's uh, it's great. It's pretty wonderful. Yeah. It's one of those movies. It, it captures that, being that, like, a boy. I think, yeah. Pretty well. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. It's good. It's it's uh. It's River Phoenix. Uh. uh, uh Corey Sutherland. Feldman. Um, Jerry O'Connell. Uh, um, uh, we were just talking about him. He's in Hot Tub Time Machine and fourteen oh eight. Plays the older brother that dies. Uh, John Cusack. John Cusack. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. It's got a lot of good people. In it. yeah. It's oh, a wow. good movie. Yeah. It's a Rob Reiner film. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Reiner. Oh, and uh, Dreyfus. Dreyfus is in it. And Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, he wow, plays Stephen a, King. What a cast. Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> That's my uh, Richard Dreyfus impression. <laughs> uh, it's a great movie. But yeah, so I yeah I don't know. I feel like adaptations of his are so hit or miss generally, mm. uh, and it turns out most of his dramatic stuff tends to adapt better to film than the mm-hmm. horror stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny. I feel Carrie like- is great. Yep. To Palmas Carey. Never saw Carey. Yeah. Ooh, good stuff. I actually, I haven't seen most of... I, I guess I don't think about it, but I haven't seen most of his movies, even though I, I think most of his movies, uh, or like his adaptations, were like considered kind of classics of the horror genre, right? Well, the ones that are genre films are things like, you know, Children of the Corn mm-hmm. has the, like, Running Man. Thinner. You know, they, they have, yeah. like, uh, uh, just like a kitsch feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's a... Cat's Eye, mm-hmm. Firestarter, Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery, yeah. mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Pet mm-hmm. Cemetery. You know, they're all uh, Christine's another one. Yep, mm-hmm. and they're a lot of them Cujo. have like a niche. Yeah, yeah and Cujo, just like a niche thing where we love them because that's what we had. We would yeah. go see them at the drive-in. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but, just like oh, I watched this on TNT a yeah. hundred times when I was eight and it scared <laughs> the fuck out of me. Yeah. But now that I have any sort of like critical semblance to, to you know. My intake of culture, I'm like, oh, this is this is some crap. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. But he's also been adapted into. I mean, there's he's done. You know, there's been miniseries. There's yep. been full on episodic TV shows. They yep. did the Dead Zone. They did Under uh, the Dome. Kingdom, what was that? King, Heart, Heart Kingdom Hospital? Hospital. Kingdom Hospital. I watched that um, one. That was that was really bad. <laughs> yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, yeah, Rose, Rose Red, Storm Rose of the Century. Red, right. Yeah. But he's also I liked been Storm of the Century. Into, actually, Storm I, the, I remember Storm of the Century. We were watching, and midway through, our neighbor's house caught on fire. <laughs> Holy! It was it was like shit. a couple doors down. So we paused it to like go out and just watch the flames. Yeah. It, like it was it was on complete fire. I think it was like an insurance torch yeah uh, but uh it, it was just we're like oh let's pause this oh man real life is is even more exciting than tv then the fire went out it was like all right let's go finish storm of the century yeah. see what happens but i mean, but even that was written originally for that format yes yeah but then there's things like um like the creep show movies mm-hmm. where they adapted some of his short stories mm-hmm. or he co-wrote them with romero mm-hmm. so like really every Every sort of visual media he's touched. Yeah, totally. But I think, uh, I don't know, I guess overall not made for TV movies are where where it works for me. The, yeah, the best. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the cinematic In an objective sense. I mean, I yeah. am appreciative of things like the Langoliers and Thinner. And, yeah, and yeah, things me like too. That. But, you know, in terms of actual, like, that's a legitimately good movie. I think The Mist is up there. Yeah, definitely. You know, Shawshank's up there. Stand yeah. By Me's up yeah. there. Yep. I would say I would I misery. would chime in mm, misery yeah I would chime in but I think uh, the mist is the only one I've ever actually seen in full really you watched The Shining I've seen oh I'm sorry I have watched The Shining yeah. I like The Shining more than I like the mist me too yeah. uh, I think so the world does yeah. Sh- yeah Shining is one of my <laughs> but I think those days. are the only two I've seen I've seen Shawshank Redemption you know from like a certain spot like thirty minutes in mm. thousand times because that just always happens to it's be on, on TNT on TNT or, <laughs> they know or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that's shot that's that's for me it starts like you know with the sisters of mercy or no when he's getting held over the edge of the, the building that's when it always starts <laughs> uh and same way with green mile i usually manage to come in 
after they're already like in the cell block and everybody's like all friends with each other except yeah, yeah, for like, yeah. Percy being an asshole or whatever. So, but I would say I would pick the shot for the mist. Although this 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 experience has definitely changed my opinion of the mist. I was mostly just like, oh, it's like a fucking terrible like monster movie. Oh, really? And ne- like, well, that is how I remembered it. I think yeah. I saw it. I think I watched it by myself. Mm-hmm. I had this period. So you're the reason why it was put into color was that people were just like, yeah, I'll yeah. go see a monster movie. Oh, it was a decent monster movie. <laughs> I didn't even go see it in the theater. I, I like rented it from Blockbuster. Yeah. Oh, nice. Back when there was still that. There was this period um, in high school where like every weekend I would watch a movie. And that's how I saw both Wicker. That's how I saw both Wicker Mans. That's uh-huh. how I saw, you know, a ton of stuff that came, I know pretty much everything that came out between 05 and 08. <laughs> and it, most of it was most of it now is stuff that I've forgotten because it just didn't make an impression. Yes. But I remembered the mist, and I didn't. I remembered it because I thought it was actually like kind of cheesy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or that it was kind of ridiculous and like heavy-handed. Yes, but and after, it is, it is. Mm-hmm. But I I see now that that was I guess Frank Darabat's, uh his intention. I think on. it is. Yeah, at least. I, well, I, mean, I, mean, I think he explicitly worried. stated that yeah. his intention was to capture the fifties monster mm-hmm. movie and right. It's safe to assume that with that comes, you know, Montgomery Clift style acting. You know, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a little hammy, I would say. It's not mm. quite cheesy. It's not quite heavy handed. It's very hammy. You know, I think it would. It almost might end up being oppressively bleak if it weren't so. Yes, I if agree. If it was, you know, like without that that heightened aspect to it, where it really kind of you know pushes into that. Yeah. It, well, it, it would be we yeah. just be like, oh, this is a bleak monster movie. Give me something. With yeah. this, it's like, man, these are some crazy characters. Yep. Now, of course, if they were straight up goofy or it was a little more uh, uh, carnival-like, mm-hmm. then it might be more rewatchable in the sense we were talking about Certainly. things like Children of the Corn and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or even like the Thing, which really mm-hmm. you know takes that mm-hmm. that step between art and just the poetry <laughs> of crassness. Almost. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and it uh. I think it. I think it rides that tone rather nicely, it does, and it also and it matches the short story very, very well. Oh, okay. Mm. That I mean, that tone also allows for it to have light moments too that break through the bleakness. Like we got a lot of big laughs out of this mm. movie, and when the laughs do come, they are big. I wrote down the one line, know? the big, the big laugh line after um, after the uh, they the the guy goes in and sees the tentacle, <laughs> the manager of the store. He comes out and everyone's gathered around, and he was the one that was most resistant to it. Yes. And he comes out and he goes, "We have ourselves a situation of considerable magnitude." <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I really like. I really like the old woman after she beans Mrs. Carmody with the can of peas. She's like, "I got more peas." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and you know, and I think some of the larger than life aspects of it allow for those moments. If it wasn't for how hammy it is to some extent. You wouldn't have that moment where you feel so much catharsis when he fucking punches Jim in the goddamn jaw, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And that that too is even such an old timey. You know, I ought yeah. to twist your head. Yeah. yeah. You ever had your twist your head <laughs> yeah. twisted before? It's a rum diary quote. <laughs> but you know, it, it had that kind of thing that yep. was just like, you did something wrong, and I'm gonna knock your block off. Yeah. Yep. I'm Tom Jane, and I just want my kids back. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, I just, I really, I, I just like this movie a lot. I, I think it's really good. Uh, it's, it's well, well made. made. Yeah, it's well made. It is, and just the fucking that gut punch of the ending, I think, is the thing that it does make it. I, even if we don't, even if we can't quite come to an agreement on why, 
they he chose to do that and what that might mean necessarily. I think that gut punch of an ending is the reason we're still talking about it. Absolutely. And it's a It gave me a visceral response that even if I can't mine any meaning right. out of it, it every time it affects me. Mm-hmm. You know, and like at the end of the day, you know, a, a I'd rather a movie be effective and say nothing than say everything and just be dull. Yeah. And so even that, like, I, I, I got a response, and it caused me to want to go back and pry into the other stuff where there is a lot of well, heavier meaning. And that's what I was going to say, is that I think the fact that it has that ending, which keeps us talking about it, uh, keeps this movie that has much more interesting things than its ending going on alive and in the, the conversation, mm-hmm. you know? Um, which is, is kind of interesting and, and great in its own right, I think. Um, one one last thing, yeah, just to talk about, and I think it's just a marriage of all of the things. But the the sound is really good in terms of just making sure we mm. know what's going on mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. And there's a very real, it's just a, a real challenge you'll face in a movie like that. Is that your location starts to feel like a set, yep. your set starts to feel like it's being filmed, and then all of your effects in the world crumbles. Mm-hmm. And you know we like it, and it's it's cool like that. I, I mean, you know, to compare a, a movie that with very little. Uh, very little money ended up creating a a pretty intense single location world was Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yeah. And that's just a couple set pieces, but they build it and they maintain it properly. Yep. Uh, they didn't have the, the luxury of the sound in this and the sound of the mist and of the creatures oh, and yeah. all that. There wasn't a point where I forgot about the looming threat of the right. mist or didn't believe that there's a chance that this mist is not just localized. Right. Uh, that is... And, and I think that that is scary. Actually, you uh, you said something about uh, there was a word you referred to it as the abyss. Like, oh, it's uh, uh, I I totally forgot. It, it was, was a playoff of like you know you stare into the abyss and the abyss stares into you or whatever. But there was, but but either way, I mean you you wouldn't be yeah. able to make a joke about this being an abyss unless they created it as a bigger palette than what mm-hmm. we're seeing here. Right, right, and that is that's cool. That's challenging. Especially when you're using digital mist and a set. I think one of the ways that it makes it feel like it makes you worry a bit more and makes you remember that there's a world outside of the supermarket is that when we first see the mist, it's encroaching on uh, Tom Jane's home. Mm -hmm. And you know that his wife is still at that house. Mm -hmm. So you know that in order for the mist to get to the supermarket, it first had to pass by the home where this character we've already been introduced to, mm-hmm. who the kid is very cautious to never let us forget about, <laughs> is is just like that that's out there and that you don't know what's going on. There. And her yeah. window's yeah. smashed open. That's right. And the window, oh, geez, I didn't yeah. even think yeah. about that. Because that's when he finds her later, he says, I said I was going to fix it. Yeah. I was going to fix the window. Yeah. Uh, and so. she's literally, you know, entombed in a, a fucking spi- a, a alternate reality mm. spider's web in that broken window. Now, in the book, him and Amanda Dumfries, uh, they fuck. Oh, yeah. and uh, and it's and Darabont went on record as just saying, like, you know what? That was just going to be a tough sell. Yeah. You know, in yeah. the book where you can you can you know, omnipotently comment on their motivations, their thoughts, and mm-hmm. their experience. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't need a performer to perform it. And not saying that the performers would be incapable, but there's a very real chance that a lot of people that maybe aren't Mrs. Carmody, but are, you know, just inclined to lean that way. Yeah. yeah. You know, just an old-fashioned person watching this movie might consider that a complete, like, well, now I'm off board with the hero, and he can die for all I care. Yeah, totally. And yeah. You and know, I, I can see why they cut it, but that was something that was uh, was really nice in the book because when they did it, it didn't play as an infidelity. It played as a, 
we know we're gonna die very mm-hmm. soon, so we might might as well just mine a little bit of human pleasure out mm-hmm. of it, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. And I think um, the hard part, even though novellas, are, you're right, are usually the ones that end up transferring to screen the best, is that even when you're dealing with a two-hour movie, you just can't script it down to that level sometimes, and it yeah. takes a lot of time to build that up and build like a character who's clearly like faithful to his wife and like a good father and husband at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm over the course of two days uh, sleep with this, this person from out of town who just mm-hmm. appeared. Like mm-hmm. it's tough to, it's tough. It's a tough sell, not only for like people who are a bit more like uh, uh, conservative, mm-hmm. but it, I think it's a tough sell in a story way to yeah. like, get that way over the course of two hours and also have to deal with, you know, religion and the military mm-hmm. and yeah, you got to pick your battles yeah. when it comes mm-hmm. to, to adaptation. And I, you know, he clearly it picks, would kill the pace yeah. to do the yeah. legwork to earn, and I, you know, a whatever I, I'm not gonna, we'll call it a romance, but to yeah. earn something about that. Yeah. And I, I think Frank Darabont was probably like conscious of that. And he's like, you know, there's going to be like four other monster movies this year and all of them are going to have a, yeah. a romantic subplot. Yeah. And so like, let's just, we'll do the heavy philosophical work. We'll let them worry about the, mm. the blood and guts. Yeah. yeah. I would agree. And it, it's probably a smart choice. Yeah. I did like that in the book because it made it scary because it was like, here's this guy telling his kid, everything's going to be okay, but behaving in a way that's like, we're going to delay the inevitable as best as we can, but I'm also going to just get my kicks in right now because yeah. I, I got to do it. And that's know? that's a very Stephen King thing from what of work that I have interacted mm, with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that it's if if that situation were to happen for real, that would happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah you yeah. know that would happen. It's something that we're all a little like, oh, we don't want to see that in our in our film heroes and heroines. But you know, I think realistically. Him doing that was him admitting my wife is dead. Mm-hmm. Her admitting, mm-hmm. you know, I've given up on this, mm-hmm. and hey, we got a couple hours left. Yeah, you know, we could we could make this we could make this you know passable. Yeah, I would actually say I would almost have preferred it if it was hinted at, but that it was ultimately decided against because then that would actually say something about the character in terms of them being like, no, you know, there is hope beyond this. Like my wife might still be alive. Mm-hmm. Like. The mist could still clear at any minute, which is kind of the hope that drives them out into the thing. Yeah, mm-hmm, I totally. know that he frames it as kind of like a he goes to his die. house. Yeah, he goes you to know, his house in the hopes of finding yeah. his wife there still alive. And like, even though he frames the thing as like we're gonna die in here, we're gonna die out there, we might as well die out there with yeah. the idea that we're you know trying to not die out there. Mm-hmm. I that's still like a very hopeful thing and that was kind of what was driving him and you're mm-hmm. right at the very end he's been this hopeful guy the whole time and the moment that he gives in and is like maybe I'm not maybe we're not going to make it out of this like a second later yeah punished god yeah. laughs at him yep. yeah oh man this is comedy is I really there. do yeah. like that ending <laughs> I fucking do. gotcha yeah it is it's it's it is almost a shameless ending yeah. but it is just I like it's it. great yeah. it, it a movie's supposed to do that. Yeah. It's supposed to make you feel that if this movie's goal was to make us feel that gut punch and think about how we react to things and think about how important it is to carry the torch and not trip and fall on it and yeah. burn yourself to death like a dingus. I also um, you know, I, I think it drives that point home in a way that does match the film tonally. Yeah. And it's one of those where the the story, the book, I really love. I, I couldn't tell you what's better. I they're just companion pieces, mm-hmm. but I don't think I walked away from the story with so much 
My, I, I think the most I, that coalesced out of that was like, man, people are crazy when their back's against the wall. It can get tough. Mm-hmm. But after the movie, I think I, I asked that question to myself and pondered over that in a deeper way. And I think that the ending does have a lot to do with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a world where uh, we are increasingly impatient with like ambiguous endings, right? Like we often demand some sort of explanation and finality in our movies, especially. Uh, how else does this end? Yeah. I wouldn't want that ending that you describe in the book for a movie, I don't think, mm. where it's just a big foot passes over and we go, oh my God, it's such a bigger problem than we thought. But also, Credits. Too, at that point, we've actually already seen beasts that are pretty yeah, big pretty in a large. way that I already have the yep. feeling of, oh, this is this is bigger than just, oh, we'll clean it yep. up. Yep. Now, that big, huge one in the book weighs a little bit more because we've pictured the monsters in our head yeah. with our own limitations, but when they're driving and a foot steps down and it's the size of you know the yeah, Dubai yeah. Tower, yeah. you're like, oh, that's this is bigger than even they knew. And it's satisfying for a book. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, if the book was like, and then he shot him. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he shot yeah. him. I agree. And then he, it'll I agree. be weird, but yeah, in the movie... While that ending would be satisfying, sure. it's certainly weak. Yeah. Um, it, it should, there was a, with Paranormal Activity, when that came out, mm-hmm. the original ending of that movie doesn't have the <laughs> right. jump yeah. scare, but Spielberg, who discovered that movie and said, hey, we could probably make some money if we put this out, mm-hmm. said to them, he was like, listen, he's like, yeah, it, it might be a weaker ending, but if you can make an ending that pops mm-hmm. and people leave the theater chattering, like, whoo, whoo, you know, mm-hmm. shaken up, he said, that is ultimately better for the picture's life. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got people leaving it with a buzz, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got people leaving it like bleak. Yeah, they're going to tell you it's a good movie, but mm-hmm. it doesn't create that chatter about it so hmm. much. And so in terms of just, I mean, as simple as it is, his, 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 uh, he was advising the filmmakers yeah. to, quote, unquote, end it with a bang. Yeah. Yep. And I think in, in The Mist, they, that was what they were going for, oh, was yeah. an ending with a bang. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to end a book with a bang unless it's a sudden reveal yeah, that, yeah. that upends the whole, the whole uh, story. And that's great, but it it can be cheap. Yep. Here is just definitely just a big bang. Yep. To leave you shocked, they roll the credits and four four know, bangs. Four four big <laughs> bangs. Yeah. Four big bangs and a condescending scowl. <laughs> just. Mm. I I gotta say the one the one thing I I was a little weird to me about the that final scene where he does kill everybody is just how silent it is when he kills everybody. He shoots four different people in the head, one of them being a child. <laughs> And no one screams. No one's upset. I think that's why he shoots the kid. I think that's implied why he shoots the kid first because everybody else in there knows what's going to happen and they know that his role is to kill them. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, because he shoots once, he shoots a second time, and her head then hits hits the window. And then there's a delay as he turns around and takes out uh, Grandma and Grandpa. Yeah. I actually, I'm surprised one of at least one of the people wasn't like. I'll just wait it out with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just wait it out. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe that's maybe that's how he gets his comeuppance. Is that instead of being like, "Are you cool with this? Are you cool with this?" Because I don't know. The grandma definitely did not look like she was down with getting killed. She looked like she was ready to take her chances out outside the car. I liked his uh well. No, because they, they do silently agree because he has that great badass heroic line where they're like, "There's only four bullets. There's five of us," and he goes. I'll figure something out. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. good. Or, or I just there like, like how, an <laughs> implicit agreement. Yeah. One of the things I think is uh, one of the things I thought was funny though is how when they're looking around, he just it cuts to him and the gun just slides yeah, up yeah. out <laughs> of the bottom. <laughs> 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 and it's like, like and it's like cold crisp yeah, steel, yeah. you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like oh, 
Punisher. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a well kept pistol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it had never been fired before. It lived in a in a Dumfries purse. Oh yeah, her, yeah. That was mm-hmm. her gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big shout, big shout out to Ali. Yeah, yeah Ali. Oh god, yeah. We didn't end. shout out his character. We didn't enough. even he talk was about Toby Jones. He just is great in this movie. One of my favorite actors. Yes, yeah, and he's mm-hmm. great in this movie. So and so probably my favorite character in the movie for sure. He's definitely the best character in the book because. It, when you know, because they, they do give you more background, he does have a military background, yeah. he does have his target shooting uh-huh. history and things like that. But in terms of, of book characters that I pictured in my head and then seeing them pictured in the movie, there there is like very little difference, and uh-huh. that is the, that's the closest it's ever come is Toby Jones's Ali to, to the Ali that lived in my brain. Have you guys, did either of you ever see the movie Barbarian Sound System? I love uh, I Barbarian have Sound Studio. Sound Studio, yes. excuse me. That actually, the band I was talking about that I named my website after broadcast, they did all of the sound design and really? music for that film. That was a, that was a movie that I, I was up and down on. I do like it, but the it's sound slow. in it is awesome. The sound is exactly, like, the, it was essentially just some guy, I think, who was like, I just want to make a movie. I want to see how you can use sound to make a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And then he just didn't care about the plot and somehow <laughs> got Toby Jones to act in it. It's su- I mean, it's super effective. It's um, I mean, I, it, I definitely felt kind of at arm's length from it because I, and I'd like to see it again to, to you know, just uh, tussle with it some more. But yeah, that is a that is an impressive movie, and Toby Jones is the man. It's the same writer director as um, uh, what's it called? What Duke it? of Burgundy. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. I knew it was the, the same. Best. Yeah, I knew it was somebody I knew, but I couldn't remember why. Uh, I think Strickland. I'm ready to close Peter this guy Strickland. out unless right. people. Uh, people I'm with you. I am ready to right. close well, it perfect. out thank and you, shut it down. Thank you both down. for having me on, dude. Today. Please, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, helpful. thanks for coming. Please uh, plug your uh, plug your show again. Your local scene star for <laughs> the music of when... stories about music yeah, is that. available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Uh, you can find it by going to investigatingregionalscenes.org. Recommended for people who like uh, La Dolce Vita. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. That's with an F. I'm on letterbox.com slash Philadelphia. Uh, and you can come see me do comedy every Tuesday at uh, Medusa Lounge in Center City, Philadelphia. Um, at Dan Scully on Twitter. I'm, I'm Dan Scully on every platform. Mm-hmm. And you can log on to Cinadelphia.com. I just put up a review of Hail Caesar. Woo! Spoiler alert. I loved it. Can't wait to get out and see it's, it. Uh, that definitely is good to know. I'm it's looking a, it's forward to cool go see it this weekend. I'm very excited. You'll be pleased. Cool. You'll be quite pleased. And of course, February 17th at yeah. Philomoka, Movie Movie Live, Stoner Movie Edition. We've got Jeremy Riley, Alex Vogelsong, and the godfather of Ganj, <laughs> N.A. Poe. N.A. Poe. So oh, uh, definitely come out. It is only $5. There are a couple other shows on the bill. So uh, come out and make a, a wonderful Wednesday out of your uh, Wednesday, February 17th. February seventeenth, uh, seven eight p.m. You know, whenever you want to get there. Before we're eight. gonna we're gonna start at eight. Yeah, yeah. 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 Be there before. We'll eight. start at eight. Uh, all right, uh, we're gonna sign off. You probably know how we do this just from here in the show, but if not, you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. And my name is Brendan Maddox, and I'm pretty good with movie movie. There you go. There you go. Yeah. That's all we ask yeah, because we all, we all know that, that you, you like to movie movie, movie because, because we like to movie. Boom, Tabak. Boom, Tabak.